The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined as always by my brother, Dan. What's up? How is, uh, you know, it's funny. I just walked the old Reese Meister, my dog. Her name's Reese. Her name is not Reese Meister, just so everyone knows. And it's funny how it was like a hundred degrees last week and uh, something just today, it feels like it's fall. It's yeah. hot out, but it feels like a warm fall. Like, And I saw some leaves on the ground. And I'm like, well, guess it is literally the beginning of September. Start. It's time to start feeling like fall. Uh, I'm getting a bunch of massive temperature variations lately. It's like raining constant like every other day right now for some reason. So it's jumping between like 90 and 60 degrees on a daily basis. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, there's been... Yeah, there's definitely been some of that here down south, the old south, Peoria, Illinois. Yeah, the south. <laughs> the south of you up there in uh, Massachusetts. Not that real much south, really. Uh, did I say the south of Massachusetts? No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying north. far south of, south of me, really. It's mostly a west thing. I'm technically... South of you. None can dispute this. No one can dispute that. All right. So let's see. Let's um, we've got a lot to cover here today. I mean, my God. And, and let me just say this to patrons. You know, there's a lot of reader mail, which again, if you support us on Patreon at the right tier, you can submit reader mails. Um, I was just very liberal with throwing them into the mailbag <laughs> this week. Don't worry. We have a full mailbag still that We'll get to in a die shrink and uh, and probably some of them even in the upcoming guest, which will be more console focused. You know, this is big old Ampere week, some Tiger Lake and such. Next week, I'm going to try, hope, again, assuming, assuming something's announced about the consoles, it's getting <laughs> absurd, but that's what I'm hoping will happen late, you know, somewhere around next week. And, um, and then again, probably right back to Ampere once the reviews start coming out and yeah. Then after that, I imagine the next guest, I'll try to find someone to talk about RDNA 2 or something. So, But for now, so pretty much all PC gaming. Let's get into some early reader mails here. This is the important reader mails, as usual, to open up the podcast. Dead Fishy writes in, and he says, i just like to make a comment that I've been using the screen name Dead Fishy since 1999, far longer than Dan has been a serial fish murderer. Uh, and no, Dan did not have a hand in killing my fish, nor me. So he'd like to clarify that. Okay. Uh, I won't claim that I killed your fish. I'll make sure to never do that. Well, also, you don't do that anymore. My understanding is you are now a frog murderer. Um, we'll, we'll see. We, it's, we, we won't know what I am for about, for about a year. The fish killing jokes are probably going to die down at least for uh, four, four or five months, though. I'm hoping, though, we can upgrade, right, to me asking you how many frogs you've killed today. 
Although I, I want to be clear, I like frogs significantly more than fish. And I said that to Dan. And then you told me which frog it is and sent me a picture. And I'm like, yeah, you can kill as many of those as you want. Those things look stupid. <laughs> what what I, frog was it? What's the name of the frog? Uh, the Xenopus. <laughs> even sounds like something you should be killing. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're a Xenopus. Yeah, and I, there would be less frog murder than fish murder, so. So to yeah. keep that in mind. Okay. Chris F. writes in, and he says, Are you and Dan steak men or chicken men? Keep in mind, my continued Patreon hinges on this question. I think you're a chicken man, Dan. Mo- I, I guess that's, I eat it more than steak, but it's also more expensive than a, yeah. steak is more expensive. I like a good steak. But you know what? Let me make an argument here. And I agree. It's usually a more special thing we eat. I mean, I cook them at home, but it's usually not as often. Would you, let's say they cost exactly the same. Would you eat steak as often as chicken, though? Because you can kind of do more, or I feel like chicken you can eat more often and it doesn't get old. Chicken's more of a, a team player. I would probably still end up eating chicken more often because, yeah, you can do more with it. Okay. That, that's what I thought, Dan. Yeah, I don't know what I am. I think I'm half and half. I think I'm a hybrid chicken steak man. Um, anyways, Carbon Cry writes in and he says, Tom, what is your response to the recent UN report denouncing your targeted attacks against my sleep pattern? The report shows clear targeting of my going to sleep time by your video drops. It actually has become interesting where Carbon Cry is in Germany. Every time my videos drop, it seems to be right when he's like, all right, going to bed and then... 30-minute video just drops right when he's there. But it's because I'm editing videos. I tend to be editing them and putting more effort into it. And so they're tending to come out later, not earlier most of the time. Oh, yeah. I guess if In fact, I'm almost done with morning releases unless it's the podcast. I guess if he's in Germany, then what? If you drop a video like after five here, he should probably be asleep. (laughs) Which it seems like a lot of the big ones. If it's a big video, it seems like mine drop at about six or between six and nine p.m. Well, yeah, because you want to get them out the day before and not delay it. Yeah. Also be ready if people try to assassinate me on Twitter so I don't sleep for four hours while people are like, he won't even respond. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'm sleeping. I have a life. I mean, Tom, you need to make sure your life revolves around the tweets. Whenever you get a a tweet reply, make sure you have an alarm so you wake up and you you can reply to it. I know some people do that, too. That's the crazy thing. But, I mean, yeah, that's the thing you learn, though, is it's just like, well, yeah, but... Or maybe this is just a reminder that Twitter isn't real life. I mean, that you probably shouldn't care. That's that's why I just turned off all my notifications for Twitter, and I'm like, (laughs) I'll check every now and then if I'm curious about a specific thing, but it's, you know... Yeah. Um, Now, before we get into corrections and omissions, I do think we need to talk about you getting a new laptop just a little bit here. So you you got a new laptop. Tell tell the class what you brought today. I got the Asus Zephyrus G14. It's it's very nice. I got it for a really big discount, so that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it has a 4800 HS, and that's what people want to know is what's in it. Uh, I got a 4800 HS, a 1650 uh, graphics card, 8 gigs of RAM, and a 512 gigabyte SSD. For nine hundred thirty dollars, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's usually like a twelve hundred dollar model. And so when I, it, me and you were, you don't have that much money, but you don't want to upgrade often. So you were like, either it's 
And we came to the conclusion, either you're going with something really nice for like 1300 That's which there are some pretty crazy new things out there where they're like all-day battery lives with a 1650 Ti and an 8-core for like, well, I mean, that's almost what you got, right? Anyways, yeah. but you, instead of having to pay 1300 you know, we were like, or you can get something with like a six-core Renoir and an MX350 for five to six to seven hundred. And it was like half the price, but it frankly does almost this everything you would want it to do, anyways. Um, but no, I mean, this was a good middle ground, and uh, I think it's the GDR6 version of the 1650 as well. And the mobile one has the full shader count of like 1,024 CUDA cores, so a tenth of a 3090 is what you have in your laptop. Yeah, pretty much. I although I those new uh, CUDA core counts, I don't I don't know what to think about them yet. (laughs) Well, I put down a whole report. We will get into that later. (laughs) Um, But I will say this: some people were pointing out, you know, there's no wonder all these turn laptops are going on sale right now before they announce Ampere. Like, does this make you feel bad at all that you bought a laptop right before they announce a generation that's, I mean, frankly, going to be fifty to sixty percent better? I mean, no, not really. Those are going to be way more expensive. And frankly, I uh, I needed a laptop. So <laughs> that's what it comes down to with me for laptop purchases. With a desktop, it's much easier because it's where you do a full rebuild that it's like, well, I can wait to put one new part in it. Whereas with a laptop, it's like when I got my MV13, it wasn't for the best price, but it was like, well, I need to bring something on this business trip. So guess I'm buying it. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the situation I was in where I think I could have navigated this semester with just using my desk, uh, my desktop, my first semester of graduate school. But it would have been incredibly annoying having to shuttle back between campus and my apartment multiple ta- times a day. Sometimes, probably, and that that's yeah. like a thirty-minute. Com- well, well, you're a you real teacher walking. boy now, so you need a you need a laptop. Yeah, yeah. So, and I believe you have the GDR6 model, which I looked it up, and it's the 50 watt, right? So, this is a laptop that can technically hold a 2060. So, this is the 50 watt 1650, except it has the full shader count and GDR6. Have you overclocked it yet? You said you could easily do Battlefield 5 and like 1080p Ultra with this thing, which doesn't surprise me. But from my understanding, if you overclock the memory, which some of these can supposedly overclock their memory by, 60% because it's GDR6 clocked at GDR5 speeds. Because frankly, at this point, GDR6 costs the same as GDR5 per gigabyte. Yeah. Like, I bet you could get this thing to perform around an RX 570 or or at least pretty close in some games. Yeah. And uh, no, I haven't gotten the chance to overclock it yet. I'll probably try to do that this weekend, uh, play around with it a little bit. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's one heck of a deal. I mean, and it's like, well, you only have a 1080p 60 screen anyways. There were some sacrifices made for the price, but, you know, something this powerful, it's going to run 1080p at least at low to medium settings for the foreseeable future, for years. Like, yeah, and you have an eight-core processor, so whatever games come out, they'll run. Maybe not at a locked 60 eventually, but they're going to run above 30 easily, I think. Yeah, exactly, and it's just... No, I'm not going to have ray tracing on my laptop, but whatever. I don't think you're going to get that RTX IO either because there's no, no tensor no. cores in your graphics card. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let us get to corrections and omissions here. So Sayonara writes in, 
And he says, listening to the section on Murphy's name, it was I accidentally called it Murphy a million fucking times like an idiot in one of my videos, reminded me, Intel XE is set as individual later, letters. XE as in X to the power of E. I don't think Z sounds better. Well, that's not how they spell it, though. They they Half the time, they just write out XE. So wouldn't you say Z then? Now, see, because Sayonara in his did some witchcraft to actually put the E to the power of it. I agree. But then it's like, well, no, now what am I calling it? X to the E? I'm not calling it X to the E. That sounds like a nerdy rap song. Yeah. And that also is, it, it, yeah, if you're calling saying it should be XE, I mean, if they're showing it as an exponent times, right, it's X to the X to the E, or even if we want to get even more verbose, let's just call it X to the power of E <laughs> and just yeah. uh, kill ourselves. And then we can just jump off a cliff. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. Um, Zeon. Z, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 he's, I, I don't know, Sayonara. I'm not sold on calling it XE. I know other people do. And eventually, they'll probably attack me like NVIDIA and I'll change my mind. But Intel, Untel, and I usually say Intel instead of Untel, by the way. I've noticed that too, guys. Um, but until then... I think I like saying Z more. It's quicker to say. All right. And I'm a, I, I got, I got a lot. I got to give you the deets. I got to move fast probs all the time. So I got to say Z baby. Well, yeah. And then I, I propose we also start saying AMD instead of AMD because that is a little faster than AMD Tom. All right. So that's just ridiculous. <laughs> I feel like you're making an unfair comparison that one would argue just derailed my whole argument though. Okay. Well, Anyways, let us get to the final corrections and omissions here. And Keith writes in and says, I just don't agree that a 2080 Ti is 35% faster than a 2080. It's 26% faster most of the time, which means the 3080 being 70% faster than a 2080 requires it to be 35% faster than the 2080 Ti. And frankly, just to add on to him, I mean, it was faster in at least some of the demos they showed. So you could say it was almost 40% faster than the 2080 Ti, which is definitely the highest end of our expectations for the 3080. Um, but of course, I guess those are NVIDIA benchmarks, not real world. So I actually looked into it, and Keith, and I mean, I think you've got a point. You know, for whatever reason, I remember the thirty, the twenty eighty. See, I have a, I have a tendency to overestimate some cards relative to the other, and then underestimate. Like I kept saying, twenty eighty Ti is only thirty five percent better than the fifty seven hundred XT, which it is. You know, often in some games in ten eighty p, but I guess in four K, which again, it's like I don't know why you're gaming in ten eighty p on a twenty eighty Ti. Um, it is more like 50%. So, and then if it is 50% better there than 26 of a card that's 20% better, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, honestly. Uh, and yeah, so there's no way around it. The 3080 Ampere is at the higher estimates of what we expected in performance. Although again, I mean, I saw samples for since May that were 60% stronger. And a, so, uh, no, I think when it got 60% stronger, it did have GDR6X though. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there were some that were 50% stronger, and those is, that's before they got the new RAM type. I don't know. Do you okay. have anything to add to that? I mean, no, not really. I, I mean, he also mentioned this. I mean, we didn't really see any benchmarks yet, so I'm excited for the reviews to see how they'll compare to what their claims are for Ampere. Well, did you watch the Digital Foundry paid-for advertisement? <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry, their video analysis. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't see that they uploaded anything. Oh yeah! Oh, they uploaded it. The it was live the second the Nvidia presentation ended, Dan, and they had a 3080 in hand testing it in their office. 
Wow, that's really good timing. Yeah, I know. I wonder how they got that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, there are some people pointing that out to me, too, how they said this was paid for in the video. And it's like, or they like said it really quickly. And it's like, yeah. And so then I'm okay to say that it is. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it has to be pretty much. <laughs> it, yeah. Just like their Xbox stuff. but uh, Or should I should just say Microsoft stuff? Uh, based on what I'm told from some people. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I uh, That's the one thing I would say is in some ways... So, I mean, here's how I would put it from what Digital Foundry showed. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but it's like yeah, what they showed is they see... There were plenty of scenarios where it was only 60 to 70% better. There were somewhere it was 80. You had to like squint to find parts of the best scenarios where it was double the 30, 80. I mean, sort of double the 20, 80. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the paid for showing and it's really only 80% better, it's where I just say, well, let's wait for benchmarks, guys. And they had some really weird comparisons too. Like some of the games, DLSS was turned on. Some of them, they weren't. Some of the games, mm-hmm. ray tracing was on. Battlefield, ray tracing wasn't turned on. Why? So I can't help but get the feeling those are some crazy cherry-picked examples they were showing, and they still only got to like 80%. That's why I say I think it's probably closer to, you know, much lower than that. But Yeah, well, I mean, I hope that's, I hope we're wrong about that, but I mean. I Hey, and you know, I could see the 3080 being 40% better, and then the 3090 being 15% better than that. I'm just saying, I don't think I would double down on either side here yet, mm-hmm. guys. When for, when the cherry-picked benchmarks were less than what they put in the slides. <laughs> it seemed weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get into that. There's a lot of weird things about the Ampere launch. First, since we were just talking about your laptop, I thought we'd actually start with this, and that is story number one. So, Intel launches 11th Gen Core Tiger Lake up to 4.8 gigahertz at 50 watts, two times GPU at Z, and new branding. And quoting from Anantech, Recapping what we learned at Intel's Architecture Day 2020, the standard form of Tiger Lake is a quad-core processor, again, with an updated graphics architecture built on Intel's latest manufacturing process. These new 11th-gen core processors use four of Intel's latest cores built with the Willow Cove architecture, a slightly modified version of Sunny Cove, if we're being honest, found in the Intel 10th-gen Ice Lake processors. These new cores offer more performance than before, peaking at 4.8 gigahertz compared to 4 gigahertz. And I think they hold their boost way more often too. A 20% peak improvement. However, the underlying clock for clock performance improvements are minimal with Intel instead focusing on that frequency gain. And I just wrote down some notes here. I mean, I watched the presentation. I mean, you know, it was the usual cast of Intel characters I mean, there was a focus, you know, the effervescent, as Anantech says, Raja Kadori was there. Um, an interesting focus on AI acceleration. It does have PCIe 4.0, but it's almost only times four. And I believe mm-hmm. Renoir has eight PCIe 3.0 lanes, making me go, oh, so it really doesn't even really have much of an advantage, um, actually, uh, there. Yeah. And then it does support LPDDR5. Which I heard, of course, too. And then the GPU is stronger than the MX350. And they, they didn't show great benchmarks, but I, I frankly believe them. It was about 10 to 20% better than the MX350. Um, and there were also some hilarious quotes I pulled, though, Dan. And I do want to quote some of these. I saw, I heard world's best processor. This one's my favorite one here. This is the best Intel CPU Intel has ever built. Okay. Yeah, and that's not a misquote. (laughs) It's like, how many qualifiers can you put? Uh, (laughs) It beats the imitators. 
You know, I hate um, AMD imitating making I hate all good of, CPUs. I hate all of those imitation CPUs that we're seeing in desktop, like AMD, not, nothing else. <laughs> There's no yeah. Intel imitator. Uh, via... Yeah, they should have just. No, I guess put, they should just start putting all of their slides comparing their processors to Via and pretend AMD doesn't exist. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, it says people don't use PCs; they try to get stuff done. So we don't want the PC to get in the way, like our imitators do. I don't even know what that means. that's supposed to mean. Today's Intel's third major pivot in marketing too, embracing the future of our iconic brand. How many numbers can we add to our names? They didn't say that part. Uh, this is a new era for Intel and a new marketing campaign with partners. It does seem like they have a lot of new marketing people. I don't really like the new look of their marketing i7 Evo thing. Do you? It looks like if Squarespace made an, <laughs> made an example template and then they use that to make Intel Evo Core i7. I'm not trying to bash Intel here, guys. I, I really don't like this new graphic. No, it's kind. No, it's really ugly. It's there's just like a bunch of weird clashing colors on it for some reason. Yeah, and they're not shiny. I miss the shiny. It seems just kind of bland, almost like a 90s a 90s look. I don't know. It feels like they're trying to sell this to a uh um Midwestern auto insurance company for their <laughs> <laughs> That I mean, links are in the description, guys. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, that's the thing is, so they have clearly a new, a lot of new people in their marketing team. But I mean, when I hear things like the imitators, people don't use PCs, they try to get stuff done. This doesn't tell me this is any different than what my sources were telling me Intel's been like for the past five years in terms of their marketing team. Yeah, and I don't, <laughs> I just, lo- I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. So. The the higher core count really gets in the way from those imitators, right? Yeah, That's... they're imitating our strong cores. I mean, look, I think Tiger Lake actually looks pretty good. I mean, it yeah, seems yeah. like it has something where it might even be, well, it's not going to be next to an MX450, I don't think, which we'll get to in a second. But I think it is um, still, you know, almost halfway there between the 350 and the 450, considering the small bus that they're continuing to put on the MX450, even though it's Turing-based. Um, and so, I mean, I think it'll be fine. It has DDR5 or LPDDR5, so that should be good for the bandwidth there. And I think the mm-hmm. CPU looks pretty powerful for it being a quad-core. But I don't know. If I really break it down, it's like, yeah, you've got graphics that are like 20% better than AMD's best graphics. Okay, and half the cores, but the cores are like 20% better, kind of. Really, you don't have a PCIe advantage. I don't know. You know, it doesn't seem like... It seems like in certain use cases, this will be really good in like the ultra-compact Ultrabooks, but that's about it. I mean, yeah, it will be good for a lot of of college students, I'm sure. (laughs) I guess. I just... I still just really think it needs six cores. Four cores isn't enough at this point. Like, yeah, I agree. It's like like even if they're fifty percent better than the cores in my lap quad core laptop, which I don't think they are. Like, no, it just gets bogged down. You need more than four cores these days, unless they're at like eight gigahertz. Then maybe you'll make it. Well, they are at four point eight gigahertz, so there is an eight in there, Tom. <laughs> Good point, Dan. Huba writes in and he says, "Hi, my question is for Daniel. Given how effective Apple and AMD have gotten in keeping up with Intel and single core performance." Do you? Oh, maybe he meant Daniel Nenny. 
Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, why Why is he targeting this at me specifically? Well, whatever. We'll just try to answer this. Given how effective Apple and AMD has been at keeping up with Intel and single-core performance, do you think Intel has been keeping higher IPC designs hidden away off the table, or have they just been slacking since they were basically a monopoly? Oh, definitely the latter. Yeah. I mean, uh, no. Intel has no secret designs that are hidden. They're try- That's what the secrets that they had were Coffee Lake. Coffee Lake was going to come out a year later than it did, or at least m- almost a year later, and they rushed it forward, you know, out as quickly as possible to compete with Zen 1 and Zen Plus. Mm-hmm. And the same is true. I mean, I, I, and you know, Ice Lake was sitting there for a while, but it wasn't, they were just, kind of dragging their feet because it was a monopoly. You know, they finally fixed their half fixed their 10 nanometer. It's not fixed yet, really. Um, and got Intel out, I mean, uh, Ice Lake out the door, but it was still a quad core, you know, and the, and they weren't able to get their eight core Ice Lake models working, which I know they had in labs. So no, I, I mean, this is just, this is all they got, guys. Alder Lake's coming, but you got about a year. We got a year of them pretty much being defenseless against AMD. I mean, yeah, it's like, what? what's the point? So they're, yeah, we'll lose our market position for three years so we can really surprise everyone when we come back strong. It's like, no, they're not hiding anything. It's just all they're like is hopefully, hopefully their next big hope. Hopefully that can get them somewhere, but. Yeah. All right. Story number two. NVIDIA quietly launches the GeForce MX450 with PCI 4.0 support for laptops. And I'm quoting from PC World. The latest GeForce MX chip, NVIDIA's Rodney Dangerfield of GPUs, because it doesn't get any respect, got the disrespect it always does and was dumped unceremoniously on NVIDIA's website without notice or press release on Tuesday. Don't even go out the front door. GeForce MX450, we don't want anyone to see you, even though this is NVIDIA's first consumer mobile GPU to claim support for PCIe 4.0. Besides PCIe 4.0, the MX450 will offer both GDR5 and GDR6 memory. Tom's hardware is skeptical the chip will even have PCIe 4.0 despite the claim on NVIDIA's page. Any apparent utility for this low-power GPU isn't clear to us. Yeah, I just think it's part of being in this new Ampere lineup, and they're selling Turing because this is their $20 GPU lineup for dirt cheap you know, laptops. Maybe this will come out as a GT3010 or something, yeah. you know? Like, And when it comes to PCIe 4.0, I actually talked to a retired engineer about this. I just picked his brain on Twitter. And he said to me, I mean, really... There's only two things that can be, in his opinion, or three things. Number one, that doesn't have true PCIe 4.0. They're overclocking something and shoving it out, which is almost almost assuredly not the case. Or the two other options, TU-117, which is the 1650, had some form of this designed in. The TU-117 came out after the rest of the Turing lineup, remember? So maybe yeah. it got it at the last minute and they just decided to kind of like last minute put in PCIe 4.0 because they knew they'd probably repurpose this for years just like they did with all of their other lowest end graphics cards. And so having that on there but not enabling it right away so it doesn't, like so uh, just so that it doesn't have a feature the higher end cards do is why they didn't turn it on yet. And I think that's probably the most likely scenario because the only other option is they did a slight redesign and it's basically a new slightly 
lower power version of TU-117 that's really its own new die. I, I think it's most likely they probably just designed in PCIe 4.0 at the last minute. I mean, how long were they using like the the two, 150, 250, and 350 were all based on the same die, right? Yeah, the 150 and the 250, the GT-1030, those are all GP-108, I think. And so, yeah, they were using that since, I don't know what, like 2016, or maybe, I think early 2017, actually. Mm-hmm. And they've been using that till now. So it's still the MX-330. So I could see them saying, yeah, we're launching this in 2019. Remember, not 2018. This came mm-hmm. out like mid-2019. And they're like, and by then AMD had 4.0 cards. And they're like, yeah, we're going to launch this last minute with 4.0 if we can design it in. I think that's I think that's just probably what it is. Either that or, yep, they're lying or something. I don't know. <laughs> Which I don't think they would be, to be honest. I don't know why you'd think that. I don't think they need a class action lawsuit on their hands if that's proven. So, <laughs> And I looked it up too. There are mobile professional versions of TU-118. And I'm like, so these would maybe have it early, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, right? That's just... So I just think maybe they put it in at the last minute and they didn't enable it yet, or it has to be it's a new die. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and what? They just... They'll probably be milking this die for maybe two or three years. and <laughs> I don't think so. I think they'll mi- milk this until early next year, and then they will get out of 550. I think they're shuffling with six-month turnovers with the 350, 450, and then 550 because they need to get an 8 nanometer 550 out. Like this alone, like if Tiger likes 20% better than the MX350, which is like, I don't know what it is, right? A little weaker than an RX 460, mm-hmm. probably um, in the 25 watt model too, not the 10 watt one. Um, this is based on the 1650s die. So 1,024 shaders, but I believe it's going to be cut down to like 768. And with 768 and a 64-bit bus as well. And I did see there's two versions. A 2-gigabyte GDR5 version, by the way. Yeah, uh, that surprised me. I thought for sure they would just have a 4-gigabyte GDR6. But no, it's both. Um, (laughs) Like, with that in mind, um, I think this is still probably at most like 50% better than the 350. And only in the higher watt model. I mean, I'm pretty sure the... (laughs) <laughs> can't believe they're actually going to have it. Like the 10 watt version of this 1650 thing. I think it's going to run at like 500 megahertz or something ridiculous. Well, you know, and so it can't be that much better then than the 350. It's probably like 30% better at most. And so it's not that much better than Tiger Lake. Uh, yeah. And I think the only argument for them is it's just, if they want to have any argument for them remaining in this, um, like thin ultrabook laptop space. They Which I, I think it's like a cool it, space. Yeah, I think it needs to be stronger than Tiger Lake if you have discrete graphics. A lot. Yeah. It needs to be twice as good because when the MX150 came out, it was competing with, you know, Skylake integrated graphics and I guess I don't know, like Zen 1 APUs, which mm-hmm. weren't, you know, it, it was like a solid doubling, tripling of what Intel had. And so, yeah, it's a 10-watt GPU that throttles, but you can undervolt the crap out of it. And then you get a 10-watt graphics card that performs, you know, at the time, uh, not as good as maybe even a launch Xbox One, but uh, close, you know, almost a GT 1030. So pretty close. No, actually, it would be. It would be about as strong as an Xbox One. And, you know, for 2017, 
that was uh that was pretty sick to have in a netbook, <laughs> you know. And I and I think they could do that again if they I mean if we're looking at uh, I I think yeah, like a 64-bit version with GD with 4 gigabytes of GDR6, I think they could make another 10 watt ampere. You know, I don't even know what it would come down to then probably with like a 1000 ampere shaders, you know, that's good. I think it could do it. I mean, yeah, depending uh well they're going to have a low end. I guess we'll see more about what the low end of Ampere is in the coming months, though. Yeah. Well, that brings us to a reader mail. Amiable Chef says, I see these big performance jumps for Ampere and RDNA 2. We are less than an hour away from the NVIDIA event. Oh, so he wrote this right before the event. Uh, and can't help but wonder what it means for performance jumps a generation or two down the road. Is there an upper limit on GPU performance gains gen to gen for the next few years? If not, why not? Well, no, this is something I've talked about before here and there. I think I even did a video kind of talking about it. I mean, I think, yeah, we're going to get a giant performance jump this year. Again, 60% better than what they had before. For AMD, probably a doubling of what they had since they really only launched mid-range cards. And with the, and then I think with RDNA 3, they're going to go 50% better than what they had before, like I do. I think they're going to add some 3D stacking, separate out the IO die, and it's going to be on five nanometer and that they should be able to do something 50% better again. So, I mean, I, I do think late next year or early 2022, AMD will have cards three times as good as the 5700 XT. And then I don't think Hopper, you know, NVIDIA is not stupid. They'll want to compete with that. And then after that, I don't see why RDNA 4 wouldn't at least be decently better. I, I would assume a jump not as big, but I don't know. Maybe they'll, you know, master 3D stacking and it will. So, I think we're going to get decent performance jumps for another three years. And that's looking at something, you know, we'll get to a point where we're like four or five times better than where we are now. And then in five years, and I think there is where things will slow down because that's when we're at like two nanometer or something. And once you hit that, that is when we're going to start slowing down unless, you know, again, though, I don't know, 3D stacking chiplets. I think we're just, we have competition again from a lot of companies. And I think we're looking at, again, you know, I was listening to Hardware Unboxed talk about the their response to the RTX 3000 series. And they're just like, for people that are like mad they're selling their cards for half price after two years, this is how things usually were for decades. And there was just a lull the past few years. And for some reason, people thought that's how things would always be. And it just, that's clearly not what happened. I mean, yeah, I was going to say it seems like there, a lot of the time there's these boom bust cycles, but I think it was just, we were in like a 10, not 10 year, but like, I guess you could almost argue 10 year, but like a five to six year dip where just nothing really happened. And now uh, TSMC seems to be coming out with a new node every other day. Um, <laughs> and they're navigating around issues with uh, transistor counts by now just having new types of cores. So we used to just have shader cores. And now we're moving back to those like more specialized cores again, like uh, ray tracing cores. So tensor cores and yeah and you know and here we thought i, I thought we never go above eight thousand cuda cores in a mainstream product or at least it would be a while before we did well here we are ten and yeah, a half right, thousand <laughs> you know so and we'll get to it it's not as simple as you guys think but they're cores they are um yeah i don't know and there and you could argue that you should really be looking at compute units and sms and if we are we're only at 80 so you could almost see them scale to, <laughs> I mean, well, some pretty insane. Like, At this point, though, you almost argue if you should even call them CUDA cores. They're almost really parts of like bigger cores. 
Well, yeah, that would be like six, 16 or 17,000 if it got all the way to like 128 uh, SMs or something. But Yeah. All right. So let me go to another reader mail before we get into that. Uh, Benny Berlin writes in. And he says, so Tom, which NVIDIA Next Gen 3000 cards are you recommending for people with CPUs like the 6600K, the 6700K, 7700K, the fast-clocked Intel quad-cores? By just looking at the officially released revealed specs, I expect CPU bottlenecking and PCIe 3.0 issues. You know, Benny, Benny boy, um, I, I think if you've got a quad-core, an, an old Intel quad-core, which they are old by now. This is like a 2015 architecture, guys. I, I don't know that I would go above like a 3060. You know, and a 3060 should be around a 2080 super. So that's still pretty damn good. But again, it's like, it's so hard for me to convey this in a way that people internalize what I mean when I say there's always a bottleneck in your system. There is always a bottleneck and you have to decide if it's worth removing all bottlenecks or just simply unplugging a card and putting a new one in. Yeah. You know, like there's always going to be a bottleneck. But then if they ask, oh, so I will be bottlenecked. Yes. But then the answer is yes. I'm not. It's like, so you're just going to have to make this an informed decision on your own. And le- like, look, these CPUs you're mentioning, Benny, are weaker than what's going to be in the next gen consoles. That'll be four to five hundred bucks. And people keep attacking me for that. Oh, uh, guys, they're going to be. Uh, so, <laughs> like, there's a $500. Again, I have a whole rant to do about this in a second. But the 3070, $500, 2080 Ti. Just like I said, guys, consoles are not going to be 600 It's the PS5s now. I don't know what Microsoft's <laughs> smoking lately. God knows what yeah. they're even planning to do about anything these days. But, um, yeah, so if you have a, a CPU weaker than the consoles, especially if you take into account the I.O. they can do, Although that's also up for debate considering what we have with RTX, IO, and Ampere. I mean, I don't know why you'd get something stronger than what's in the consoles. That's the simple answer. And the consoles should be at least a 3060, I think, you know, especially once yeah. ha- once they age. And so I wouldn't get anything above that. And when it comes to PCIe 3.0 versus 4.0, I think also people just have this, they just can't get, I think some people just cannot get through their head that just because some games aren't utilizing the extra PCIe bandwidth now does not mean they're not about to, even in cards that might surprise you. Like, yeah, it's, and, that, and that just because you send me a chart of one game where there's no difference doesn't mean that's all games. And it's like, if you're spending like, for instance, $700 for a 3080, I wouldn't want, you know, I think the 5700 XT is like on average a few percentage points difference. Okay. All right. Well, the, I don't I don't know that I agree the 3080 is twice as strong as a 2080, but it's certainly twice as strong as a 5700 XT, probably almost exactly. So, if a if a 5700 XT is bent, bent, you know, bottlenecked by like 3 or 4%, I think the 3080 will be bent uh, bottlenecked by over 5%. And then when people point out, well then why did they test it with an i9 and those benchmarks? Well, which games did they test? Wasn't Horizon Zero Dawn genius? You know? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? They probably used the i9 to best showcase the differences in popular games that didn't need PCIe 4.0. That's the answer, obviously, guys. You know, and so there's going to be games where it's over a 5% difference. I think they're in a year, I'm just sure you can bench, you know, you can, well, this is going to be on the internet forever. So, I mean, it's not like I'm hiding anything. You can hold it against me if you want, but look, in a year, 
after a year of the consoles being out, utilizing PCIe 4.0 and swapping memory between RAM and SSDs constantly, yeah, there's going to be over a 10% performance loss with a 3090, I think, with 3.0. Is 10% a deal breaker for you? I don't know. What games do you play? Is it worth upgrading everything else? You know, so that that's the answer. And I know it's a long one, but it I can only give a long answer to this short question. Well, yeah, and it's like it reminds me of, I, I saw a comment on, read it today about in referencing a two thousand plus dollar system with a thirty ninety in it and it just made me laugh because it's like, well, you're not gonna put a thirty ninety in a two thousand dollar system. Some person might do it because they're like, well the graphics card is what matters. I mean, if you yeah. want to get a thirty eighty, uh I think you should consider just upgrading the rest of your system. I and if you're not going to, yeah, I agree, get a thirty sixty. <laughs> I I don't know. You know, and it's just because I think the answer for a lot of people, if we're being completely honest, is that they can't afford to build the new system, but they're going to blow, you know, two weeks pay on a 3090. And I would then go, why are you blowing two weeks pay on a 3090 below one week's pay on a 3080? Or maybe or even some 3070. <laughs> yeah, because I think, frankly, the 3070 is going to be fine for most people. Again, what I was told since May, is that if you're not in 4K, high-end Ampere is just throwing money in the trash, basically. Yeah. Like, it's throwing money in the trash, guys. Like, these things are so powerful. We've maxed out 1080p since, what, the 7000 series, the HD 7000 series? We've maxed out, maxed out 1440p since Maxwell. You know, like, guys, now 4K is about to be pretty maxed out too. They're uh, they're showing the 3090 as an 8K card. And I think the 3090, especially if you overclock it to overclock, is going to be like 70%, 60% better than the previous gen. Yeah, that's putting you around 8K gaming, guys. So why you're even showing 1440p is beyond me. And if you're not, you don't need to spend this much on a graphics card. Yeah, don't blow all of your money on a graphics card that doesn't make sense in your system. Exactly. You know, if you're going to get this, I think you should, if you're a production person, probably, look, if you have a 3090, I assume you're, you have a Threadripper system, to be honest, or something. Like, otherwise, if you're a pure gamer, it's like, yeah, I mean, I assume you're going to want to get top-end Zen 3, or the best one at gaming, right? You don't yeah. need to waste money. I guess probably the 4900X, or again, as we've discussed, maybe called the 5900X, which I actually, for some reason, have a feeling that rumor is true, but... Um, all right. Shall we get into the biggest story then, Dan? Let us Wait, dive. Which one's that? <laughs> yeah. So I already did a one and a half hour analysis where I went through everything I thought about what they showed in the Ampere reveal. But um, yeah, I have more notes here. I did a whole write up in my own summary of what they showed. And then we have multiple reader mails and extra things I've learned again since Tuesday. I've learned more since Tuesday. So let me, let's just get into this. Story number three, the GeForce RTX 30 series, the ultimate play. All right, here we go. On September 1st, NVIDIA finally revealed what everyone had been waiting for, their next generation GPU lineup. Not just PC gamers, but tech leakers also waited on bated breath to see how wrong they would be, frankly. And some were much more wrong than others, unfortunately. When it comes to the debate of how good Ampere was, the answer was a lot more than 20 to 30% better than Turing, as some people speculated. And in fact, it would be on a nanometer node as tech leaker Copite7 Kimmy stated, 
It all it would also include incredible features like mind-blowing ray tracing performance, PS5-like RTX IO with massive power consumption as Moore's Laws did exclusively covered months ago. In fact, when you boil it down, most of the important things covered by yours truly rang true. They're rolling out at $1,500 for the 3090, $700 for the 3080, and $500 for the 3070 by mid-October, confirming the release points I was told. These are price points that are more aggressive than anything we've seen, arguably since Kepler. The 30, Though it's called the 3070, it uses almost the full 104 die. It has not been this cheap since Kepler or at least Maxwell. All of the performance and software features we expected, basically, and limited availability in a rushed launch from Samsung's foundries. In reality, when you boil it down, just the tech specs are really what should have surprised everyone. The performance is what was expected, although definitely at the upper end of the estimates. All right, Dan, let's see here. Uh, That is, you know, let me just, before I get into a few of the nitty gritty stuff here, that's my summary. That's what I wrote. I think that's a pretty good write-up. But what what did you think? You know, we didn't talk until really late last night and only briefly. So you really got to absorb the info on your own. What was your impressions looking at it? Um, I mean, I would say I briefly alluded to that. The uh, doubling, essentially, of Cuticore count is... I'm curious how dubious that claim is. I think you referenced that in that uh, live stream you did. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I haven't gotten the chance to watch that, but um, it looked overall very impressive to me, assuming everything they're showing isn't uh, super biased towards NVIDIA. I mean, regardless... You should, I think you can assume half of it is, but I feel like I'm pretty good at seeing which parts are real. Regardless, I would say, I think you're pretty much getting a 2080 Ti for $500 in the 3070. Um, mm-hmm. That'll use a bit less energy and have better ray tracing. Oh, yeah, that's true, because what was that supposed to use, like 220 uh, watts? That's what I've been told. I honestly haven't checked. Again, it's at a certain point, it gets hard for me to remember what's rumor and what's public. Yeah, that's true. Um, the 3090, it looks massive. Uh, I think I think uh, it might justify the $1,500 price point. I want to see reviews before I completely it's the most justified a $1,500 NVIDIA card has been in a while you know that's Um, that's a good way and I mean like what are you gonna say this thing I think will be a true 8k 60 gaming card so yeah I mean it's a little funny I like their well they did have a bunch of like fun little graphics where they like showed the shooting star for the price performance thing like the 3080 turned like uh showing how much the price performance had decreased and it's a little funny because it's like yeah, but the reason price performance got so out of hand was because you guys were price gouging for years. Um, but I'm glad to see the 30. It seems like all of them are the most justified prices I've seen from NVIDIA in years. I mean, um, I think I think this is the most justified pricing since Maxwell. Yeah, I agree. And I was hoping for slightly better ray tracing performance than what they were than what they reported but but we'll get into that they didn't really show it in my opinion yeah they didn't show it that much they just said what like 1.7 to 2x better pretty much but they didn't even really show what they were talking about so again that's if, true remember what i was told in may is that it's like three times better than a titan rtx so it's like okay so what does 1.7 mean does it mean the 3090 is only 70% better than the 2080 than like the Titan RTX? If so, that's a letdown. 
It's a huge letdown. But I think that's almost impossible. That'd be bizarre if the ray tracing performance increase was only as big as the rasterization increase. I find that highly yeah. unlikely. I'm guessing it means 1.7 per SM, meaning that it okay. is triple Titan RTX performance, meaning 4K 120 ray tracing may be here with proper settings. We're still not quite to the point where we'll be, I think, with... R Again, I might wait for RDNA 3 or Hopper because I think those GPUs will be so wildly saturating 4K and ray tracing <laughs> that it's going to be back to the good old days of like my 7970 of just no drama, cranking just everything up. everything to ultra. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I would I agree with that because like the marbles, that marbles demo thing they showed was weird. They're saying 1.7x better, but it's like... They said, and this is to compare to our the old Marbles demo on Turing, where it was 720p versus 1440p on Ampere, 25 versus 30 frames per second on Ampere, and the Ampere demo had way more unique light sources. So I don't know where it, that math. Again, out. what I've been told, if I'm being honest, I am. I'll be honest. I downplay it sometimes because I don't want to be wrong. But I've been told it could be up to five times better in some scenarios, and that Marbles demo certainly looked like it. In fact. Mango Bandito writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon. He says, seeing the marble demo run on the 3090 in an i9 and hit 1440p 30fps, it did seem to drop noticeably when the marble hit physics or move fast. Do you think it can be compared to the Unreal Engine 5 Desert demo, considering the demo was a brand new engine and running on PS5? I think that's a completely fair demo, because if we were going to apply the same logic Xbox fanboys did to the PS5, we would say, see, 3090 can only do 1440p 30 frames a second. <laughs> right? Ju yeah. Just, and oh, oh, and how vindicated was that point I made before now, guys, when I said the reason they did 1440p 30 was because they were trying to show off assets and textures, you know, geometry, mm -hmm. and they know over the internet, 1440p 30 is effectively the best you can stream. <laughs> that's why they would have chosen it for the Marbles demo too. And you know how much better it was? It was moving at four times the resolution with more light sources compared to Turing? I don't know, guys. To me, this sounds like... Can I be honest? I was thinking about this. I'm almost wondering if they're downplaying the ray tracing performance for now because they know how bad it looks that Turing sucks at it that bad. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, can imagine if they just walked out and said, your 2080 Ti is worse than a 3050 at ray tracing? Because what if that's true? I mean, that's what we've been saying forever is you're not getting in on the ground floor of ray tracing if you get the, if you get Turing, you're the No, you're in, you're under the stairs with Harry Potter. There's spiders <laughs> all over you. Yeah, you're in the house, I guess. We'll say you're in the yeah, house. Yeah. But you're not at the ground floor. You know, and, and no, don't quote me. I don't think the 3050 will be better at ray tracing than a 2080 Ti necessarily. But I think the 3060 could be, you know, and that's yeah. going to be like a $400 card. I see a lot of people saying 450. It's like, no, it could be even 350. Th I would guess 350 to 400 for that. Yeah, I think, I think, I think maybe 379 or something, you know, and it's going to be an eight gigabyte card. And it could be 350, honestly, a three, you know, and I think that's their console killer, really just a console GPU for two thirds the price of a console. That's just about, by the way, where you price it, where it's people who already have a decent PC get that instead of a console, depending on the games they want to play. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that demonstrates it right there. And I think that is a perfect comparison to Unreal Engine 5. But, uh, and you know, I mean, I don't know what else to say to 2080 Ti. I was actually forgot to read this in my write-up. I said, finally, 2080 Ti's are being thrown onto eBay like hand grenades. 
losing half their value overnight, and prices are continuing to plummet. I mean, that sucks. <laughs> I don't know what else to say to that for the people I mean, that own 2080 Ti's. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I've been saying for a month. Actually, my um, sell your that video I did sell your 2080 Ti before RDNA two and Ampere kills it. That video has got over 300,000 views now. <laughs> like it's skyrocketing and they're like, dude. And and that was, it's just so weird for me how many people were NVIDIA fanboys and yet would say, I don't need to sell my 2080 Ti and Ampere is going to kill RDNA 2. I'm like, well, if Ampere crushes RDNA 2, your you 20 Ti is yeah. fucked. It's fucked, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and Brock, you know, one of our best friends was asking me, you know, if the, like I could see the 2080 Ti's racing to the bottom and then bouncing back up in price. And he's like, what price would you get it for? And I was like, oh, it'd have to be $300 for me to consider it. And then I could see it as a placeholder GPU, I guess. I guess. I don't know what per- reason you would have for getting it right, for getting that specific well, he said if it Well, he said if it was 400 well, because he doesn't know what availability is going to be, and it oh, would be true. you know better than his Vega 64. And I'm like, well, true. But I'm just saying I would get a three fifty or four hundred dollar thirty sixty before I get a twenty eighty Ti. It's probably gonna use, you know, two thirds the energy, probably have about the same ray tracing, maybe a little less performance, but it's gonna have all of these new features too. Mm-hmm. Like I'd rather have a thirty sixty than a twenty eighty Ti. So what does that tell you the twenty eighty Ti should sell for online? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I guess uh speaking of features, the other thing I'm really interested to see how well this performs is the uh, RTX IO. Yeah, I mean, that looks... Uh, and, and again, it's funny, before the release, the one thing I said over and over uh, that I wanted to... That would really make me feel the most vindicated about my sources is if that was there, what I called NV cache and tensor memory compression, which I believe tensor memory compression is clearly in it to some degree, because I don't know how else the 3070 with the same bandwidth of a 2080 is getting 2080 Ti performance without some accelerated Mm -hmm. memory compression. I just don't think they're hyping it up as its own thing. It's just part of the architecture. Um, And, you know, seeing RTX IO is when I was like, see, there it is. Now I know for sure which one of, which of my sources are good and which aren't. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And it's just, uh, I'm curious if it will uh, do this as well as the PS5 is claiming to, because if it does, it's kind of funny, like this constant discussion we've had now of, well, how will PCs get around uh, the the uh, I, uh, better I.O. that the PS5 and Xbox Series X have? And oh, what if NVIDIA just comes out immediately and we also <laughs> have this on Ampere? Well, again, and that's something that makes me laugh as well is um the people saying that oh now consoles crushed it's like no what they just announced is they have the same thing a cheap console is going to have like i don't know that i put the word crushed also do we know how well it can do it said theoretically up to like 24 cores worth of io performance i'm like yeah if that's all it's doing like that's yeah, not that's doing true. ray tracing and DLSS at the same time, guys. RTX Voice also gets a performance hit if you're using RTX Voice at the same time. Yes, the Tensor Core. So it's like no. What I think they showed is effectively with also brute forcing your other components in a PC, you should be fine. Again, what really worries me for PC games is they're like, see, now there's not going to be any awkward period for PC. It's like not everyone's going to have a 3080 at launch. 
Like the problem I have with porting PC games is how they're going to balance having this run on everyone's 5700 XTs and frankly, GTX 1080s they'll still own. When it's getting, because the availability of Ampere is going to be nothing basically until quarter one, from what I'm told, and and maybe even onwards. Samsung's yields are terrible. Like I'm, I'm like again, think Radeon seven numbers for the 3090 at best, and combining 3080 and 3070 numbers like a fourth of what you would expect from a launch. Like these <laughs> are going to be in demand, guys. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess a big issue I, I think we'll see on PC. It's not like there's the games on PC are still probably going to balloon in size for a while and to, or maybe they never will stop if this doesn't become a widely adopted solution on both AMD and NVIDIA or an AMD like system uh, that compares to RTX IO. You're still going to see really big game sizes, I think. Um, yeah, like you said, the 5700 XTs will still exist. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, uh, let me get to this question here. So Ketanji writes in and he says, hey, uh, when we look at everything from NVIDIA's presentation and try to read between the lines, what jumps out most about what they didn't say or didn't present? What of these things stands out the most? And I, I, I would say, well, again, for some reason, not, not talking about ray tracing in great detail really stood out to me. And in fact, I've heard it wasn't even really enabled in early release drivers last week so that no one could test the new ray tracing. I wonder if what's really going on is it's not quite done in the drivers. Mm. And that's why, again, like why would Digital Foundry show Battlefield 5 without ray tracing? That doesn't make any sense to me. When all when, the, when NVIDIA is saying on the one hand, oh, this is double a 2080, and then Digital Foundry's advertisement video for it, it was like 80%. You would think you'd want to do whatever you could to make it look like double the performance, which at times it looked like they were. I think the ray tracing is just not dumb being programmed and they're polishing the drivers still. That really stuck out to me. And then additionally, yeah. uh, one thing that stuck out to me, and this is kind of like one of those big things I want to say, is not so much having to do with anything specific that was unexpected, but but just people who don't realize, like who think I should change my opinion on some things and don't realize this is exactly what I expected. Like that my estimates for RDNA 2 and the consoles haven't changed at all. Like, let's, what did we learn? Oh, it's going to have, I've said since May, Tensor Memory, I mean, um, RTX IO. I've said that since May. And I've said it's going to use a lot of energy since I think over a month ago. And I've said it's going to be 50% better for a while. Nothing's changed. It's about the performance I expected, the power usage I expected, the prices I expected. So, Nothing changes what I think about RDNA 2. I think it can challenge the 3080. And I think that the reason the 3070 is so cheap is because it has to be at least a, li- a card slightly better than the consoles for the price of the consoles needs to exist. And so nothing of my opinion of the consoles or RDNA 2 has changed because it's only the specs that are different than expected, not the performance. Yeah, that's true. And it's like... um Going off another Reddit comment I saw today, like, oh, Ampere is, I mean, not Ampere, uh, AMD is uh, screwed with these prices. And it's like, I think you're reading between the lines the wrong way. This, to me, suggests that AMD is going to be very competitive 
with uh, NVIDIA this generation. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean it takes the performance crown? Probably not. Probably but not. Jensen Wang himself said the 3090 is not the flagship GPU. It's the 3080 is the flagship. So if they can compete with the flagship GPU, that's what really matters, not this semi-professional, semi-consumer uh, 3090 that's out there. Uh, for uh, That's a renamed Titan, so they don't have to admit a Titan could be beat if in case it does the remote chance it does yeah you know and, and and i think you know there's no way around it my understanding is that rdna2 is going through final testing now and they didn't want to start production until they saw the reveal i believe amd is just waiting to put the final tweaks and start production because they don't want any leaks getting out before they can completely prepare what they're going to do. And if they started production, all the leaks would come out. So, yeah. And they know there's no rush because there's going to be no availability of Ampere anyways this fall. So at the end of the day, guys, what this should suggest, and it's funny, I saw Hardware Unbox came to the same conclusion, is AMD's got something up to the 3080 at least. Otherwise, they wouldn't have pushed these cards to such high power usage at these aggressive price points. They just wouldn't have. I mean, yeah, they don't they don't need to unless they don't need to unless AMD has something to compete with the 3080. Yeah. And I guess the last thing to get into or one of the last things to get into about Ampere is actually the CUDA core count. So that was something I didn't actually cover in my live stream because I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. And that was a big surprise. You know, that popped up there and a lot of people, even some prominent leakers openly tweeted those are fake that has to be marketing and they were like no dude it's real like nvidia responded (laughs) like it was like oh i guess that's right you guys are smart engineers but um like what you guys got to understand is a couple things so i was directed to this by a source of this is the explanation because technically the gaming ampere white paper isn't out yep explaining everything but I'm just going to, I was going to try to summarize it but i'm like it's only a few paragraphs i'm just going to read this links in the description so This comes from someone that I'm told knows what he's talking about. One of the key design goals for the Ampere 30 series SM was to achieve twice the throughput for FP32 operations compared to Turing SM. To accomplish this goal, Ampere SM includes new data path designs for FP32 and INT32 operations. One data path in each partition consists of 16 FP32 CUDA cores capable of executing 16 FP32 operations per clock. Another disk data path consists of both 16 FP32 CUDA cores and 16 INT32 cores. As a result of this new design, each Ampere SM is capable of executing either 32 FP32 operations per clock or 16 FP32 and 16 INT32 per clock. All four SM partitions combined, therefore, can execute 128 FP32 operations per clock, which is double the FP32 rate of a Turing SM, which is their compute units, guys, or 64 FP32 and 64 in 32 operations per clock. Doubling the process speed for FP32 improves performance for a number of common graphics and compute operations and algorithms. Modern shader workloads typically have a mixture of FP32 and he goes on and on and on. But yeah, what he's basically saying is double the math throughput required doubling the data path supporting it, which is why an Ampere SM also doubled the shader memory, the L1 cache performance, 
and the FP32. So it is, they, the people in the know say, it is fair to say it is that many cuticores. Well, and it's like, what's the formula for teraflops? It's like clock times core count time, times two, I think. I mean, if it does that, then yeah, I guess that's... A 36 teraflop freaking card. Exactly, <laughs> you know. But you're getting close to what should be capable of photorealism, according to most estimates. Frankly, it should be, depending on the frame rate. So, yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say, guys. These are real. Having said that, I've also looked at the math some other people have done, and I'm just going to cut to the chase. An Ampere CUDA core is at least 33% weaker than a Turing one. So if you compare IPC per CUDA core, they've lost a lot of IPC to pack in these many cores. And it's not clocked that much faster anymore. Additionally, what you really should be looking at is SMs. Right. And yeah. what do we know? GA102 has Ampere, top gaming Ampere, has 84 CUs. Turing had 72. Volta also had 84. RDNA2 should hit 80 CUs on a superior node, guys, bringing it full circle to why I don't think we should underestimate RDNA2. You know, I think 80 should be enough when they're no, like at least half a node ahead of NVIDIA. Again, especially if they put the top die on seven nanometer EUV. They're a full note ahead of this. Yeah. And uh, let me comment on that too, actually. I almost forgot. So I did a video where I hypothesized maybe it is just seven nanometer uh, partial EUV from Samsung or some hybrid node. I'm told it is a hybrid node, but it is a hybrid of basically, I'm sorry, it is a custom node, but it is a customized version of the eight nanometer. Copite was right. It is a customized, it's, it's not the one we had before. It is a customized one to be more d- dense. But it isn't the 8 nanometer node. It is not an EUV node. It is not 7 nanometer EUV. I was wrong with that speculation. So I just want to clarify that too. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and also I guess the last thing I was thinking about, which was a discussion that didn't make too much sense to me, was is this quote-unquote 7 nanometer when is Ampere going to be advertised as on 7 nanometer? I I don't believe so. They're not. In the slides, they were advertising it as 8 nanometer what was it, a custom eight nanometer Samsung node? So I don't understand where that discussion started from, but it started from AIB is announcing it seven nanometer. Like, and oh, so that's yeah. the thing, the too, AIBs is, were... and in fact, I even tweeted that before, but I did delete it, guys, because I was told by AIBs with official slides that it said seven nanometer. So this is a story I want to, I decided to do a live stream just to get through what I knew now, because I'm going to have to do more videos probably potentially where I get into this, where I think NVIDIA intentionally told AIPs the wrong cuticle count. So people wouldn't know about the massive SM IPC increase, because that's what we should really be talking about. Right. Yeah. And, And nor would they know that it's on what note it's on. And it was an attempt to both, get misinformation out there, and also suss out which one of their people are leaking. And AIBs aren't happy. They had to like redo some boxes, just so you guys know. They're not happy. What, what, I, I can't remember which AIB leaked it, but it's like it, an AIB essentially just like posted a graphics card recently, and it's like, this is what it is. So yeah, yeah. I, I, get why, I, I get why NVIDIA wouldn't want to reveal what the actual specs are, because AIBs are really fucking leaky. Yeah, I mean... And Asus, even after the release, put out a press release with the wrong cuticle count. So they <laughs> were misled that far into it and didn't realize they still were putting out misinformation. Wow. 
Yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> it, it's hilarious. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing I will say um, about, you know, just general things I wanted to get through is like, you know, you guys have to remember, I've only been doing this really for like a year and a half. I mean, you can say two, I guess, no, nah, not even two years. It's not even two years, though. It was like you could, the most you could argue is really late 2018. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. So and that was just talking into a phone, you know. So I think it's I th- and I really still think that the official start was basically when Broken Silicon started, or maybe when I did ten years of being a PC gamer in March. So it's like a year and a half of me doing this, let's just say, and that's like one cycle of leaks or two. Like as I go through more cycles, the sources I have get better because I know which ones are real. And I get better sources because people notice me and I'm able to get them to actually talk to me easier. And additionally, I get better at looking at the info and knowing, you know what, when it comes to it, this source really only knows these things. I should ignore what he says about this stuff or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I get and I get better at knowing which sources can even know things. So that's the one thing I would say is I feel pretty vindicated though about getting. RTX IO correct, the performance correct, the power usage correct, the launch date and pricing correct, the things that actually affect your wallet and your decision making. And that it's just unnecessary to guess at specs you're not sure of. And that a lot of the things that would be wrong in my videos were me guessing at a node that no one, almost no one could get correct or putting in Cuticore counts for no reason that every other leaker got wrong. Like, I should just look at my own sources info from now on. And now I have the good ones. Now I have decent ones. So I just want to say that too, is realizing yeah. like, I couldn't even be sure of which sort, you know, like now we're finally there. Well, like the where AIBs, I know how to do this. The AIBs didn't even know what the Cuticore counts were. So, well, that's another thing like to no say too, actually. I forgot to mention that. Like, if your sources are AIBs, I hope you have other people because I don't know what to tell people, right? Like, seriously, AIBs were just intentionally misled by NVIDIA. And I know some tech tubers are doubling down on information that AIBs are telling them from AMD. Are you really going to make this mistake twice, some of you? Like, I (laughs) think what we can say is NVIDIA was aggressive for a reason and RDNA 2 is going to be impressive. We can't say exactly how much, and so there's no point in doubling down on anything yet. And just, I don't know. I'm wondering how many people are going to make the same mistakes twice. Yeah, I don't know. Ho- hopefully not many, but a lot I mean, of people I th- always do. <laughs> I guess one more thing I would say uh, to close on this, just to be absolutely clear, is I want to say this very clearly. People underestimated how strong and capable the consoles would be. And they underestimated Ampere and they underestimated RDNA too. I said the consoles would be $500 devices close to a 2080 Ti with next-gen SSDs. That's what they're going to be. Then they said Ampere will only be 35% better. Wrong. It's not. It's over (laughs) 50% better. And now people are, what are they going to do, Dan? Underestimate RDNA too. All of these, you know, I, I can't get over this. And I saw like my Ampere Arrogance leak video where I said how much energy it was using and they're clearly scared of AMD. And people are like, well, this didn't age well. And I'm like, dude, everything I said was going to happen did. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, I, 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 I they, mean, I guess there wasn't an insane like 400 watt TDP or anything like that. But wait for the eight. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. there are. 
Yeah, there are, Dan. And if you watch my video, I said AIB cards. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some AIBs that really, <laughs> really push the limits. But yeah, there are it's... cards. Am, like they literally just had Asus announce a 400 watt card, Dan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the TDPs they want the 350 watts, and if 350 watt is still a, a lot. 350 a lot watt is throttling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chargaholic writes in and he says, if the claims of 2X ray tracing performance are true, which I think it's going to be over that Chargaholic. Again, I think, I think double the ray tracing performance isn't good enough. You know, I yeah, think, I, it, I think we should expect at least 2X. I would be disappointed if it's below 2X. I expect above it. He goes, would you call that an impressive generational improvement? Oh, I guess I just answered your question. <laughs> no, I expect 2X bare minimum and I want 3X for us to start saying ray tracing is usable, right? Yeah, He says, on top of upwards of 80% raster improvement. Well, it is an 80% raster improvement. The 2080 is a slightly cut down second tier die competing with an overclocked, yes, cut down, but overclocked mega die with 8,700 cuticores in Ampere. Like, I don't think it's not an 80% improvement, guys. I think we're looking at like a 50 to 60%. Um, depending on, you know, yeah. um, he says it seems mediocre at first glance. Well, I don't think it does. I think we're back to the good old days, at least the good old days me and Dan are used to, right? Of the 290X and Maxwell. So then more importantly, does this leave extra room for Radeon ray tracing tech to be actually impressive? Yes. If it's only 2X ray tracing, I think RDNA 2 may actually compete with it in ray tracing. I'll just say that. I mean, yeah, if we were seeing, if we saw like a three to four X improvement in ray tracing from NVIDIA, I think the headline would be, well, at least AMD has ray tracing this time around where, yeah, now they might be competing with it. And if it's really only 2x increase in Ampere, RDNA 2 might completely compete with the 3080. We'll see. But I mean, again, I think the 1.7 is per SM. And therefore, yeah. I believe the 3080 will, in effect, be, what would we say then? Will will yeah, I guess it's the same amount of SMs technically, actually, even though there's more Q to course compared to the 2080 Ti. So I would expect the 3080, though, hopefully to be more than that. I would expect that one to be double, at least. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I think it, we should expect triple the ray tracing performance for it to actually be usable in 4K60. And yeah. I've heard that RDNA 2 is like 50% better, roughly, than um, Turing ray tracing, but that, again, they're going to crush Turing. So what is that, you know, like, I think that puts it probably closer to double Turing, whereas I would expect Ampere to be triple. But I also yeah, hear that, it, I also kind of hear that at low levels of ray tracing, RDNA 2 may have basically zero performance hit. So, and I don't know how true that is of Ampere. I somewhat suspect that has to be somewhat true, but I don't know. Um, I mean, I, Frank, I don't know why it wouldn't be true unless the, for some reason, architecturally, it just has to do a ton of ray tracing. Well, I, they, I, I think they said they can handle some things at the same time, so I don't think so. But okay. Root Knight writes in and he says, assuming that Ampere ends up having a lot of defective cards due to the unreliable Samsung 8 nanometer process and our RMA rates end up in the double digits, do you think NVIDIA PR machine would be capable of successfully avoiding the damage to their premium brand? Well, if any previous generations are anything to go by, the answer's a resounding fucking yes. <laughs> I mean... That's one thing I also do want to talk about too is 
if you listen to the last Broken Silicon with Daniel Nenny, he talked to me about this too, how Fermi just straight up did not follow the design rules of TSMC and they had crazy defective rates, high power usage, and it was a disaster. And yet, yes, they were able to sweep it under the rug somehow with aggressive marketing and replacing cards for free constantly. And so, and then, you know, I heard the 2080 Ti had like a 50% failure rate for in its first month. And yet no one seems to remember that. And they just talk about AMD drivers because AMD had a month of bad drivers, let alone cards that fucking don't even work. You know, so yeah, I think they could get over it. And I just think that's something to watch out for because at these power usages, I- I'm telling you guys, this the reason availability is bad is because Aunt Samsung's still trying to ramp up decent yield rates with this custom node. And I would be worried about how many of these, you know, 3080 availability is going to be bad and it's cut down 20% from the full die. I yeah. would worry about reliability a bit with these cards. I just would. I hope I'm, I'm not saying it will be unreliable, but I'm saying I've seen this before with NVIDIA a few times. Yeah, I mean, fuck, how many, I think I RMA'd that 560 Ti I had twice. We had to RMA it for another dude. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we sold it to someone else after it being RMA'd, and then I helped him re-RMA it with my account just because I felt bad. And we had friends that also had to re-RMA their cards. So yeah, can they maintain a high brand, uh, high opinion of the brand yeah they've done it before for some reason um hopefully it doesn't happen this time around i'm i mean if if they hopefully they don't get away with it scot-free if it happens this time again yes uh, yeah all right let us move on to story number four which is really just continuing the discussion uh lenovo also lists nvidia geforce rtx 3070 super so, quoting from video cards, just hours after we were informed about the GeForce RTX 3070 Ti 16 gigabyte, I don't, I don't know where he's hearing that from. Listing, oh, it was a listing on Lenovo's website. A new graphics card has also been spotted from Lenovo. God, Lenovo leaks half of the crap now. I swear to God, Dan. Uh, this time around, we have the first supermodel from Ampere series, the GeForce RTX 3070 Super. Like we noted in the previous story, Lenovo's listing is often inaccurate. The same company once listed the GTX 1180, which as you may already know, never launched under such a name. However, there is a chance that Lenovo has unintentionally released information that should not go public. So what I'll say is, as people know, I've been told there aren't any TIs and Supers planned for the foreseeable future, that they made powerful cars price aggressively, and that the different cuticore counts will probably just be used in quadros and mobile chips. So if they are accidentally listing these, which again, they listed a GTX 1180 before, it's almost like, what, is NVIDIA asking them to fuck with people? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it seems like they're kind of doing that. I would assume these are just OEM-only versions because I'm just telling you one of my most reliable sources says that's not coming. Although, again, I have been told there's a 30, 70, 16 gigabyte, 100% confirmed, basically, that that is coming and they want to launch it right when RDNA 2 comes out, like in <laughs> November, and that there is likely a 30, 80, 20 gigabyte. Although I've been told mixed information from a couple sources. The one I trust the most says 30, 80, 20 gigabytes likely, although not confirmed. The 16 gigabyte 3070 is confirmed. And I've said this since I've mentioned these models. They made a 1060 3 gigabyte that had a couple SMs disabled compared to the 1066 gigabyte. Why not? Why not? From what I've heard, you know, that internally in NVIDIA, they realize more VRAM makes people think it's stronger. Why not literally make it stronger? 
<laughs> Why not literally give the 3070 16 gigabyte? The 3070 is 14 gigabit per second memory for some reason. Give the 16 gigabyte model 16 gigabit per second and a couple more SMs and the full die, the full SMs. And then there you go. You'll have something like almost 10% better with double the RAM. And they can just put that out there to combat Big Navi. And then if they beat the 3080, launch the 3080 with slightly faster RAM and a couple more SMs as well. And there you go. There's your, oh, they just don't quite beat the 3080. Or maybe that could even be their, their super refresh if they need. No. <laughs> um, I mean, but, yeah. but you see what I'm saying? I yeah. think they're just going to call it a higher gigabyte model, not a super. Not in the I, do-it-yourself space. I, I hope they get rid of the Super and TI branding. I, I've never been... I could see TIs coming TI, if they need to respond, but I TI think Super is, is... I've been told they just they don't want to use the Super name anymore unless they absolutely have to. Um, and again, you know, they can change their mind. Maybe they will, but I just don't... This early, too? Again, it's like, if anything, it's like, I know there's a bazillion versions of the 1650 in mobile. So maybe these are just OEM-only versions. That's the only other thing I would say. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Lenovo is just constantly putting out fake graphics cards for some reason. So I don't know how much weight you can put on anything, What any of these leaks. <laughs> 0x000FF4 writes in, and he says, do you think there will be an Ampere Titan? Um, I think maybe. I've heard that it's something they've planned if they i've heard it's something that they have laid the plans for or talked about and i think it may be a 48 gigabyte card <laughs> that has the full sms enabled you know so i think that's two more sms i think or maybe one more sm compared it's two right it's i think it's, it's usually two right yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so i think it's two more sms enabled compared to the 3090 and then double the vram and it's like and again if you go oh but how could they release that it's like uh, I think the Quadro is going to be about four grand and that's going to have 48 gigabytes. So why not do a 48 gigabyte Titan that's less efficient for three grand and then a 24 yeah, gigabyte yeah. Quadro for 2,500? Done. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I think that's what they'll do. I think that's totally within the cards. And again, it's like if they actually release that, me and you were talking at the stand, they can call that a Titan. Yeah, I think they can. You know, finally, a true, a 48 gigabyte card with, 10,500 CUDA cores. Like, okay, you can call this a Titan. Finally, this <laughs> is justified of the name, you know? And and I just, I don't know that, I don't have any information saying that it's definitely coming, but I've heard about it and I think those rumors are possible. But that's basically yeah. all I can say, right? I think it's completely reasonable that a Titan would come out with 84 uh, SMs and 48 gigabytes of RAM for $3,000. That's what I would expect it to be and that's what I would expect it to be priced at. Yeah, or even 3500 maybe. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need. 
and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Yeah. Um, uh, B Steiner writes in and says, with AMD's complete silence recently, are they really sandbagging or will there be a long delay for RDNA 2 after NVIDIA launches the 30 series? Sometimes no news is good news, but sometimes no news means nothing's happening. I mean, that's an entirely fair point. Um, I, I would just say that I agree. It has to be one or the other, pretty much. But yeah. I'm leaning towards the other, the strong one, that I don't think it's going to beat Ampere, but I think it could be almost assuredly more efficient, more reasonably priced, and compete in the high end again. And I think that, based on what I'm told, that if they really wanted to, they could launch these early October, but it's more likely late October or even November. I And again, it's like, oh, so that means quarter one, really. And it's like, no, they're using TSMC. When they start production, they're produced. And so I think. Um, no, I think you're getting RDNA 2 this year. I just don't think you're getting it before November, really. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't think they have nothing. But like, no. They... Herkelman, the head of Radeon Marketing, tweeted, like, did you see that, Dan? Like someone said, there's no way a, a tech tuber on, or someone, a tech person on Twitter said, there's no way AMD can compete with this. And he does this every now and then. He just responds with like, um, I don't know. I think AMD has been too coy and cocky, like coy right there, to, for them to have absolutely nothing. That would be, that would just be bizarre if that were true. And it doesn't feel like Vega where they were overcompensating. Like Vega no. felt like marketing overcompensation. And that marketing team has been fired, guys. This team, I think, seems cocky out of strength. Yeah. And you know, I just don't know how hard this is to keep saying when in when it, when Lisa Sue says we will compete in all product segments and we will be in the high end, we will bring you Navi 2X. Are you gonna like you're calling her a liar then? And the yeah. Xbox again, how many times do we have to go through this? The Xbox Series X has a 56 compute unit die that is using for the graphics portion of it 150 watts or something at most probably. What do you think is going to happen with 80 compute units? I think it could be a, like a 280-watt card that competes with the 3080 at a more reasonable price with greater availability. And, and that's a thing to discuss is if that happens, not confirming it, but if that happens, they don't need to compete with the 3090. If they launch a 24-gigabyte or even just like a 16-gigabyte HBM card that is, you know, a thousand bucks and is around a 3080 is just a little better than a 3080. They don't need to compete with the 3090. People will just buy that, especially if the availability is there. 
And from what I know, there should be three versions of Top Navi. A big one, a reasonable one, and a small VRAM one. I suspect they may launch a 10 gigabyte card as well. And they may launch it for like 600 bucks. And it may be as good as the 3080 while using like 250 watts. So when you hear things like this, you know, it's like, do they need to undercut them by a ton? I think that 20% undercut's fine or 15%, you know, 600 instead of 700, same amount of RAM, but guess what? You can actually buy these. I mean, yeah, when it comes down to it, availability, I'm sure uh, for a lot of people is a huge thing or it's like, oh, I guess I'm just going to go with the AMD card. <laughs> yeah. And Keith writes in and says, would you bet $100 that RDNA 2 top card that releases this year will beat the 3070 Ti? Well, we don't know there's a 3070 Ti. Or the most expensive card in video releases below the 3080. Yes. Yeah, I think I will bet well, you a hundred dollars. Especially if that means the 3070, which it looks like there's a good chance that's what it means. Yep, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. I understand there's other people skeptical online. Put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> Aiden FS writes him, would you bet fifty dollars that we see a 3060 class card before 2021? No, because I'm not 100% sure, but there's no reason it shouldn't launch in November. I'm not willing to bet, but I think it, I think 3060 comes out in November. Yeah, but I don't know. They could just push it to January for some reason. I, I don't know where these decisions come from. I'll bet $20 it does. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which for those who don't know, maybe this is the first time you're listening to the podcast. There's just a bet section because I think sometimes people misconstrue what I say and making me put money on the line, although it's not a real bet, but... Putting it in the terms of betting makes me just say, oh, no, I don't actually think that. I was just hoping, you know, because there is a difference. And me and Dan never bet people, right? Unless we're like 100% sure, or at least 90. Um, Malcolm writes in, would you bet $30 we see RDNA 2 top cards this year? Or would you bet 30 on middle cards only? I'll bet $30 top RDNA 2 is coming this year. I'll bet $1,000. I I think... I think uh, it's coming, guys. Doing weird product release schedules. At least I hope they are. They the biggest one should launch video. first. Yes, you know? exactly. Now, I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure if the HBM model will launch first, but the top die is launching this year. Mm-hmm. Cajun Canuck writes in and says, with the tie-up approach AMD has managed to maintain, how much of a lag do you expect between RDNA 2 launch and AIB? Oh, I expect a delay, actually. And, you know, I think AMD is intentionally telling AIBs as little as possible. For this reason, you know, I've been told that one of the reasons AMD usually does just reference cards first is because they know the second they give the designs to AIBs, it all leaks out. Yeah. Which is probably what was happening with those Ampere leaks half the time, by the way. Although, again, the AIBs didn't even know the correct specs. It's hilarious. <laughs> they just knew the thermal design they needed to do and the shape of the die. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not going to put money on any amount of weight, but I think, yeah, I think AIB cards are going to probably. They might, they might be a while later, you know. Yeah. Um, Ivan Cole Baby UK writes in. Hope I said that the way you would want us to. Says hi. Do you think Nvidia's price cut is an exception this year, and we can expect the '80s cards eventually costing 900 in the near future? Not near future. Um, he says I am thinking about going nuts in four to five years and getting myself a system which can sustain 4K 120. Dude, you'll be doing AK 120 in five years um, with <laughs> HDR RTX cracked full on. And wanted to know if a two thousand dollar budget will be realistic for building a top spec PC with this target in mind. 
Oh, with 4K 120, a $2,000 budget in five years? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Maybe even a laptop, dude. Dude, God, things aren't slowing down. Things are getting better. We're accelerating here, baby. We're getting there. We're getting through it. I think, Me and Dan are and snapping. I think we'll at least be accelerating for the next couple of years, at least. Maybe we'll hit a wall eventually. Well, I think we we're going to... eventually. I think this year is going to be the a very big one, but I wouldn't rule out next year being close to as big and the following year being bigger than what Turing was. So I think yeah. we're still at this accelerated pace for the next four years, is what I would say. Um... Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Uh, it, a wall, well, you'll always hit a wall eventually. I mean, it seems like, yeah, it might just accelerate for, for a long time, especially with TSMC's uh, nodes. Like, it looks like we're seeing all nodes all the way out to 2023 now. So, yeah, probably at least three years it will accelerate. Which brings us to story number five TSMC has reportedly secured orders for its two nanometer node. Samsung may not beat its foundry rival until 2030, claims a report. Coming from WCCF Tech, a fresh report from DigiTime states that TSMC has reportedly determined that Hinshu Boshan will be a center for the development of its 2 nanometer technology. While it's not confirmed which clients have managed to secure orders from TSMC for 2 nanometer, which I guess, yeah, they're just taking them this early because everyone wants it. They know they'll want it. The report does mention that it might be none other than Apple. Oh, I think we can say it's Apple. Uh, the Cupertino giant has already been reported multiple times to give 100% of its 5 nanometer orders to TSMC, and it looks like the same thing will be repeated once Apple prepares its custom 3 nanometer SoC. Samsung, on the other hand, cannot seem to catch a break. The Korean, ma- well, they got one from Ampere, guys. The Korean manufacturer apparently lost Qualcomm's 5 nanometer orders to TSMC. And only now is Samsung rumored to ramp up production in order to win back Snapdragon 875 and X60 orders. However, it's highly likely that due to TSMC's technological prowess, superiority, as well as the manufacturer's reliability to deliver a large supply of chips in due time, which Samsung's clearly showing they're not going to do with Ampere, Qualcomm (laughs) will assign the majority of orders to TSMC and not Samsung. And that was a big thing. It was in the title, right, of my live stream response to Ampere is, long term, this could be a mega problem for NVIDIA that AMD is best friends with TSMC and TSMC seems to be tired of working with NVIDIA. That right now, they're like a node behind. Oh, no, 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 no. When they get to 7 nanometer cards for Hopper on Samsung next year, AMD will be at 5 nanometer. They'll be at and, and, and their 7 nanometer is not even as good as TSMC's 7 nanometer EOV. So I think There'll be at least a node behind then too, if you consider them a node behind now. And once you get then to three nanometer next year, I don't know. Like I think this forces NVIDIA to be at least half a node behind now and up to a node and a half to two nodes behind in four years if they really can't use Samsung. Having said that, I bet they'll get some orders in at TSMC if they need to, but this is a disadvantage for anyone stuck using Samsung instead of TSMC. And uh, and I hope, though, that this props up Samsung so TSMC doesn't go mad with power and conquer all of Earth. I mean, that's the one worry is if they keep securing more orders for more companies, the power from TSMC is going to snowball. And ho- hopefully uh, NVIDIA is a big enough client to keep <laughs> Samsung to keep Samsung running. I mean, I know they're already a massive company, so I doubt that's a huge worry for them. But 
Yeah. VI Past writes in and he says, do you think there will be an availability issue with RDNA 2 considering RDNA 2 will be using TSMC and having enough availability, especially if NVIDIA using Samsung? No, Samsung's the availability problem. That was a misconception yeah. I had where I, when I heard the small orders as me and one of my sources were like, oh, well, maybe that means it's TSMC. Then when I talked to Daniel Nenny and others, he's like, oh no, it's definitely Samsung if there's availability problems. Like TSMC doesn't <laughs> have those. So no, I think what you're going to see is this. What's going on with Samsung is they're still trying to get good yields. They're still perfecting their node. They're still ramping it up. So you're going to see availability slowly, but with slowly but surely, but emphasis on the slowly improve over the next year with Ampere. And what you're going to see from TSMC is availability at launch a little better than Samsung, but it's going to be a consistent availability. It's not going to be this horrible trickling out of cards. And I think, so yeah, I think T, I think AMD may have better availability than NVIDIA, even if they launch later. I think they may get more cards to market this year than NVIDIA. And, and that makes yeah. you wonder if they can win by default just because they yeah. actually can <laughs> produce the cards. Um. Potatoes Our Life writes in and says, do you think that the performance of Big Navi, Navi 21, RDNA 2, Navi 2X, whatever you're going to call it, is being overhyped to an extent because of golden samples being sent to engineers like what you said had to have been going on with 8 nanometer ampere? Or rather, do you believe that we will see what is actually rumored as 7 nanometer? No, I, I don't think so. I think, it, 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 and TSMC has been at like 90% yields on N7P since like, early this year, you know? And I think their 7 nanometer EUV has better yields than the non-EUV. It's just a very slow process using EUV lights to make yeah. the dyes, and they're expen- they use a ton of energy to make them. It's about, you actually get better yields from EUV, right? Yeah. So, no, I think whatever we're seeing, right, with, like, the 2.2 gigahertz PS5 is, no, we're going to get that out of graphics cards. I think the and again, my impression is the efficiency curve of RDNA 2 is around 2 gigahertz, 2.1 gigahertz. Xbox is a little below it to be really low power. But again, it's a fixed clock server APU. So, you know, <laughs> and the PS5 is pure gaming. So they push it a little bit above the efficiency curve. I think with overclocking, you'll be able to get RDNA 2 cards possibly to 2.4 gigahertz or higher. And if AMD really wants to, they'll be able to make a liquid-cooled version that does that. The problem is I've heard there's a logic bug. I just don't know where it is. So I don't know if at 2.3 gigahertz it falls apart. I don't. Which, again, Sony helped develop this. This is a console architecture, <laughs> so they don't need it to go any faster than what they wanted. So I, I'm guessing the limit's 2.4, but I don't know. It could be 2.6, hopefully, <laughs> by the way. Because <laughs> that's the one thing I will say, is if it's as good as... If it's like a 7970... Versus 680 situation where top RDNA 2 is way more, it well, is about the same power usage, but then it turns out you can overclock it more than the 3090. Then that would make me want to get it again because I miss having cards like that. And story number six the most exciting graphics card that we will talk about this episode AMD quietly launches the Radeon RX 5300. And I'm quoting from video cards. The RX 5300 appears to be an OEM only model. Well, this has been in laptops for a while, actually. Uh, it features Navi 14, so the same one as the 5500 XT. In fact, the same 1408 stream processors. And this time, though, it only has a 96-bit memory interface with 3 gigabytes of GDR6. This makes it outperform the GTX 1650, though, although 25% lower performance than the 5500 XT. That's actually not that much lower performance for losing a th- uh, for losing, oh, that's about exactly it. 25% less bandwidth, 
and uh, 25% less performance. It's not that bad. It, it beats the 1650. It, I, I mean, looking at bar graphs here, it seems like, yeah. It, and again, this is like when people ask if, you know, it does Battlefield 5 on high at 86 frames a second. Like when people ask me what 1080p performance is, it's like probably infinite if you have a high-end product, <laughs> you know. I don't know. I, I don't have much to say about this graphics card. You know, it's a three gigabyte version of the 5500 XT. Honestly, if they sold this for like a hundred bucks, kind of like an RX 560 replacement, and especially if they had 126 gigabyte models, I could see this being fine. Honestly, for low end gaming, it's fine. I don't like, know. You could just throw this out for a hundred bucks. Fuck it. Why not? So I, I think if they could do it a hundred or less for three gigabytes, and especially if they could get a six gigabyte model out for like a hundred, one ten, one twenty, yeah, a single six pin card, it's fine. I think there is space for like the five to six hundred dollar gaming PC, and I, I, I don't know. It seems like they don't care about that space at all anymore. And given that this is OEM only currently, it looks like they still don't care, but. It would be cool to see it get released to consumers. They have been filling this space recently, Dan. The RX 580. They've just been selling the 580 for yeah, like 120 bucks for freaking three years straight. <laughs> arguably four years if you're talking about the 480. And that's just what they're happy doing. Which I think makes sense. I think that's kind of what you're going to see moving forward. Is It's like, hey, we have last gen nodes. We can keep producing this one die super dirt cheap with like 100% yields. We're just going to keep spitting these things out and sell them for nothing. The problem is then when it's GDR6, where like a fourth of the cost is the GDR6. <laughs> That's the problem in the low end. It's less of a problem the more you pay. It's more of a problem the smaller, right? Is that GDR6 just becomes too much of the cost to even really make sense to make a low end card anymore. Um, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Just, which I don't know. Like, maybe that will, they'll start putting like, DDR4 on cards. I, I guess I don't know how expensive they are. Oh, DDR5. Or DDR, yeah. In which DDR5 gets about as fast as GDR5 anyway. So I, th- I do think that's what they're going to do. But, and you know, it's hard to compete down there when you can get consoles for that are coming price. out. You know, yeah, like I, I would almost, you know, the, the best time to launch a $100 low end card is usually a couple of years after the consoles are out because that's usually when you can launch something for like 100 bucks. That is around the. Per, Performance of the consoles that are still selling for three to four hundred, like that's when you launch those cards. But yeah. around the launch of a console, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But anyways, uh, story number seven. Talk about Sony. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even put the title correctly. I just put a placeholder here for several stories. So this is kind of like what we usually have been doing. It's kind of a wrap up of one of the consoles, and I just wanted to talk for a second about the fact that. What I was told by a couple sources about the PlayStation 5, those are the same ones that mentioned those exclusives I talked about, also said Sony was considering opening pre-orders without a price. Guys, they just did it. Those sources are legit. <laughs> well, and let me, let me quote too, right? I'll quote from The Verge. Sony announced the latest step in its dragged out PlayStation 5 reveal with the company opening online registration to possibly receive an invitation to be one of the first to pre-order the console directly from PlayStation. The news is, of course, conspicuously absent of details like a price or release date for the PlayStation 5 as Sony continues its excruciatingly slow game of cat and mouse with Microsoft over who will blink and announce in an actual cost for its next-gen console first. So here it is, guys. I said they they were considering announcing pre-orders without a price. They did it. 
<sighs> this is getting kind of ridiculous at this point, but um, hopefully we'll see a price from them this month. I don't know. Again, as I've said earlier in the episode, we're of course we're focusing on Ampere and Tiger Lake this week. Yeah. And next week, I was hoping with my next guest, who does a lot of analysis of PlayStation and Xbox stuff, to discuss their their, their business decisions and strategy for next gen in depth. And I remember talking to him a week ago. They'll they'll announce stuff by early September, right? Like they wouldn't. They wouldn't keep, <laughs> you know, but uh, what I've heard is there's a rumor that the Sony is going to just go first with an aggressive price and pre-orders, possibly somewhere between September 4th and September 9th, which means, guys, I hope it's September 4th because I'm not trying to release this podcast Thursday every week. But if if, if Sony <laughs> does a show... You know, on Wednesday, and my guest is someone who analyzes PlayStation and Xbox stuff. We're going to do it Wednesday and release it Thursday. Sorry. Yeah. Which, at that point, you start to wonder if we should move it to Thursday, right? But And if they have a September 9th show, we'd... Well, they're... All of these tech tech companies seem to be kind of just saying them really, like, right before they're having these conferences, but... If there's a September We're seeing 9th, this with AMD and NVIDIA too, holding things close to their chest. Yeah, and I think part of it is with COVID, it kind of just allows them to play. It, it makes it, COVID it almost makes it easier to play things close to your chest. Like, oh, we don't need to rent out this uh, conference room space months in advance. So we can just go whenever we want. We can quickly throw together our conference and within two days we can announce and produce the conference that uh, works best for the exact moment we need it to. And and you have less people traveling, going yeah. to conferences together, drinking beers and telling people. So you have less stuff leaking. So they know they can probably have nobody know anything for as long as they want to. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, who knows? Sony could have a conference on the 9th and announce it on the 7th or the 8th where they reveal the price. You know, what's funny is... I was talking to people. I was very active on the Discord, which you get access to if you support us on Patreon uh, <laughs> this week. Uh, you know, I'm usually not crazy active. I'm trying to reduce how active I am because with how many people are in there now, at a certain point, it's pulling away from making videos. But there was a lot to discuss. And I started talking about how someone said, I honestly think there's a chance Sony may announce the price after they've already put the PS5 on boats. And I said, well, I work in manufa- I worked in manufacturing. It's usually six weeks shipping by boat, sometimes 12 if there's a lot of hassles or issues, and there are usually right now. So think about that, six to 12 weeks. So basically two to three months. Uh, so if it's going to launch in November, yeah, there is a chance they may announce the price after the consoles are on boats. There is yeah, actually a chance. Al- they might already be on boats based on that. They've been producing them since June. Yeah. So, and I believe the PS4 started shipping in September. (laughs) So yes, maybe they are. But you know, shipping costs are up and there are allocation issues right now. All supply chains are stressed. So you wonder if almost they are there. I I think they would have announced the price sooner if they needed to. Don't get me wrong. But you almost wonder if Sony's like, hey, look, we don't even know how much our shipping cost is going to be. So let's wait to find that out before we announce price. Screw it. You know, the longer we wait, the longer we know the exact price of each console, how much it's going to cost. 
really for us to ship these. So why don't we just wait as long as we can? Yeah, that's true. And yeah. and it's not a small console. It costs more to ship than the PS4 for sure. <laughs> yeah, the thing that's a, it's like the guy might have been short, but it's like the size of a human torso. It looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, the way it, what I would say it's one of the biggest consoles in history, if not the biggest. It is lighter than the PS3, though. But that thing was made out of pure lead. It felt like so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a very good chance they've already shipped them, and. I mean, I guess, I don't know. They would usually want pre-order data to be able to see how where they need to they're getting it. everything. They're getting, they're getting it, it now. Yeah, they're getting, the, the, is, you see, they're doing it. And, and it's where you go, you know, I honestly thought it was stupid, but I said this in the Discord too. I can see why Sony might think it's brilliant. From their perspective, they have the mind share. Xbox is not perceived very well once again because mm-hmm. they've kind of botched the whole unveiling of games. And so with that in mind, Sony says, hey, what worked before? Letting them announce price first and then undercutting them later and showing off the final exclusives. And if we can do that again, we're going to. Having said that, I again think it's absurd if they don't announce the price in September. I'll just say in September. If they didn't announce the price in September, I don't know. I might claw up my eyes. I mean, like, yeah, I don't, just because I don't get it. And, and there's a leaked picture of holiday 2020 in the US end of 2020 rest of the world. I find it hilarious. That's their distinct, like those are almost the same. What they're saying is November US, which hello, we know that. And December rest of the world, which is kind of what they did before anyways. Like I, I yeah. could see like a December 30th launch in Japan. Like they kind of, they do that sometimes. They launched the Vita, I think at the very end of the year in 2012. Yeah. With uh, the US and Canada, it's, I'm, I'm assuming Christmas is a pretty big holiday in Europe, but it's it's massive in the U.S. So they, if you're gonna have a big release, you need to have it before Christmas in the U.S. Have you noticed it's already apparently Halloween at grocery stores? No, I haven't seen that yet. At the uh, High V here in Peoria, I go to since two weeks ago, they've been uh, selling candy and have a whole Halloween aisle. Jesus. <laughs> and I listened listening to the morning news podcast. I listened to just start here. By ABC News, they were uh, talking about how they literally opened an episode by going, "Nope, you didn't miss see that. There are already Halloween aisles in your grocery store. This is start here." <laughs> and I started laughing because I'm like, "There are." Anyways, Cruster uh, writes in and says, "For the Xbox Series X APU, is Microsoft using this chip for other applications and hardware?" I remember Tom talking about it before. Yes, it's a server chip. It's a fixed frequency, low power server chip for streaming multiple instances of games, and they may even use it in Azure Cloud as well. That is why they clocked it so low at fixed clock speeds, because it's really a server APU they're putting in a game console. And this is public information. You can look it up, guys. I'm not, you know. Yeah, yes, this isn't this isn't speculation or a leak. This is just, we know this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, but they'll be like, well, only a fanboy would say that they're selling a server chip to gamers, just like AMD did with Vega. That's what's going on, guys. Oh, why not? It works well for both. And, and, you know, especially if you're someone who doesn't need Xbox, right? Like like Azure and xCloud is there. It makes sense to really just, yeah, we're going to sell another console, but we're going to make this APU used in multiple things. So if it doesn't sell well, we can just take a step out and still use all All this R&D money we spent wasn't for nothing. Which, look at how well the Xbox One has been performing. I wonder why they would see that as an attractive option. Dan fanboy confirmed. Story number eight. 
Microsoft confirms the Xbox Series S again, quoting from TechSpot. An Xbox owner who needed a new controller purchased one from the Microsoft store. Upon opening the package, he noticed a marketing insert with a trial code for the Xbox Game Pass. What was perhaps more interesting than the free trial, and this just happened, this just happened, this isn't like a secret, like person with an early controller, and it confirms this on small print on the trial card. Redeem code for 14 days free. And it says, includes Xbox Live Gold and unlimited access to over 100 high-quality games on Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, and Windows 10. So they're shipping controllers with Series S mentioned. And the article continues, even though it has now been leaked twice through its own packaging and marketing materials, Microsoft refuses to acknowledge the existence of the Xbox Series S. What is the point of hiding it anymore? Sony has already played its two-console card, and everyone at this point knows Microsoft is releasing two consoles. Just fucking unveil it already. already. Isn't this funny? What? And this brings us to the other side of our console discussion today. So why haven't they shown this yet? Unless... So they're both acting ridiculous, in my opinion. Well, what about the scenario, Tom, where for three weeks or something, they were committed to releasing the Series S, and then they're like, eh, we won't do it anymore, but they're still selling off. Like, I, I I, don't understand what Microsoft is doing. I, That'd be fascinating, because if, if, if that I, happened, that would mean there actually are Xbox Series S's and labs that we'll get to see someday that never come out. Yeah, and I to be clear, I am saying I think that's an extremely remote chance that that's what's happening. I, I'm curious why they're shipping out controllers so early though with xbox series s uh marketing on it unless they were like planning on unveiling it earlier and they can that for some reason like i'm curious why they're taking why they're already Uh, in the wild and again and a lot of this mindset right and i think we agree on this comes from me and you think that and again what i've been told is that so so what I've been told is that they want to unveil the Series S after the X. They want to market the X as this powerful console and then release the Series S afterwards as the budget option. And I think me and you, Dan, just 100% agree that that's ass backwards. Like They should be launching the cheap one first as soon as possible to steal market share from Sony and then launch the strong one next to the PS5. Yeah, and I mean, I'll eat my words if I'm wrong, but I think the I think the Series S is the smarter, is the more interesting device than versus more interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think it has the potential to be the dominant console that Microsoft releases this uh, generation. Again, the idea of like, oh, this runs all games 1080p Ultra. This is tiny, doesn't use a lot of energy, costs nothing. And it has an SSD, so it's going to do everything exactly the same as the big one, except we're selling it for less than the PS5. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant move. It's just like, okay, again, like I've said in other podcasts, it's like Microsoft doesn't even know when they have a good idea. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, and so I don't know what else to say besides that. They should be selling this as soon as possible, because I think it could take market share from Sony. Yeah. Um, Dan Keith writes in and says, Tom, when you calculate the bill materials, as you've discussed multiple times before, for the Xbox Series X and PS5, you only take into account the raw materials. But what if R&D costs and other invisible costs add about $100? 
for first 10 million consoles or so, wouldn't that make it much harder for Sony to sell a console for sub 500? So you have a little write-up about it, but just straight up including the R&D costs in the price of the console doesn't, on its face, doesn't make sense because that means the first PS5 that was produced cost, I don't know, 500, cost a billion dollars to produce. And exactly. Then, when you make, and, but two. then you go, oh no, we're going to amortize it over. No, they they don't do that. And you know, this is something I've talked to offline with John Petty, Mike Rizzoni, Daniel Nanny. R and D costs do not go into final product bill of materials, guys. That is not how R and D works. You take extra money you have that you put aside because you were successful with something, and then you conduct R and D to make sure you have technology that gives you a leg up in the future. Eventually, you have to be a solvent company. Right, yeah. you can't be spending too much on R and D. You have to make an actual product, but you do not break R and D costs into product costs almost ever. And I've worked at General yeah, Motors in manufacturing. I've seen the actual bill of materials. There is no line item for R and D, guys. Well, that doesn't make sense. It, it, you're you're coming from like we've already sunk this much money, and this is how much it costs to produce a single unit. You can't just you can't put the R and D cost of you can't put the R&D cost into each individual unit. That inherently doesn't really make sense with how manufacturing works. No, it just doesn't. And and, it, and it's a big misconception. I'm, I'm not saying you should know that. I'm just saying, like, I have to be very firm yeah. about this because every business is different. There are some where the R&D is more taken into account. But when it comes to, like, actual, like, manufacturing of, like, cars or computer parts, what it comes down to is it's different for each one, but specifically to consoles. No, they even sell their consoles at a loss usually. Even yeah. not even taking account into R&D, but they make a bunch of money on the software and the online services. And so they make up the R&D costs in the back end. And that extra money Sony put into developing their SSD with Marvel, Marvel, you would say actually, Marvel, for instance, is also going to make the money in the IP server or, space. Or, oh, the server yeah. space when they're selling enterprise versions of that SSD. And when Sony put money into Blu-ray, yeah, they get Blu-ray licensing fees for decades now. They, and and they get they got a from their perspective, they got a console that you didn't have to use multiple discs with. This is why they do this. Now, Xbox is paying Sony for each Xbox sold because they have to put a Blu-ray player in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Sony put in the R&D for the Blu-ray. They didn't divide up. It was just the cost of the actual Blu-ray player for the bill materials for the PS3. And if you look at Sony's, I think if you look at Sony's history, they ha have a high, in they're highly interested in uh, developing IP. Like they do this constantly. I think that's where they make a lot of their money is uh, IP they create from, or just IP and uh, patents they probably co-sign uh, that <laughs> with other companies like Blu-ray. I mean, maybe some stuff with RDNA too. We don't know. It's they they co-develop stuff constantly because yeah, like, they're working they, on some kind of competitor to 3DX point. I've heard right now they actually hold a lot of patents in tape drives that are still used in like archival. PCs, by the way, oh, like yeah, tape, <laughs> like VCR tape looking things that can hold like 500 terabytes. Like they work on that stuff, yeah. you know? So, you know, so when it comes to the, to answer your question directly, and, and I take other things into account, I take into account risk. I take into account yields. I take into account, uh, but I, guys, my job was literally to account for bill of materials 
sometimes. So I'm not just putting raw materials, guys. When I say the PlayStation 5, to directly touch on what I know you're referencing, when I say the PlayStation 5 costs $450 to make, it could cost less. (laughs) I account for risk. And I even add some fat on top of that. And I think there's no way it costs more than $500. No way. And they're willing to sell it at a loss. So this idea of a $600... Again, like going back to what I said earlier, everyone underestimated the consoles. Then everyone underestimated Ampere. Now everyone's underestimating the console price and RDNA too. Stop. They're all impressive. It's kind of like what we said when we were talking to tech deals. And he brought up a good point, which is basically whether it's a console or a next-gen PC, 2020 is one of those just transition years where there's everything before it and everything made after it. Everything made after it is going to crush everything before it. That's it. That's how technology works sometimes. Yeah, I know. It's like when we were talking about how the PS5 might, how the PS5 looks like in some ways it could revolutionize how games are rendered. It's like people are saying, so you think PCs are going to become obsolete? Well, no, they're not. Uh, (laughs) Ampere, I mean, uh, NVIDIA just unveiled Ampere, which might just completely negate that advantage that Sony has with the PS5 IO. I doubt You'll just need that, though. You'll need that card. But they will need that, yeah. And it's like, well, what is RDNA 2 going to do? RDNA 2 is in the PlayStation and Xbox. So what do you think? (laughs) AMD will have it, guys. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to story number nine. World of Warcraft Shadowlands minimum system requirements call for an SSD. Not recommended, guys. Minimum. The mini- And to quote from PC Gamer, the minimum system requirements for the upcoming World of Warcraft Shadowlands expansion has been revealed, and they're fairly unremarkable, but for one point. You'll need 100 gigabytes of storage space, which is an awful lot but still nowhere near the the maniacal 200 gigabytes of modern warfare. But more importantly, Blizzard wants that storage space on an SSD. So I had to include this. There it is, guys. This is a mainstream game, not in 2021, but in 2020, where the minimum requirements are an SSD. It's coming, guys. Yeah, and of course it is. Like hard Hard drives are a different technology than SSDs. And SSDs are way better than hard drives for the uses of gamers. We're going to need to switch to SSDs completely at some point. Well, and it's funny because I think gamers were, were kind of surprised the consoles aren't using hard drives this gen. But from the perspective of programmers I've talked to, they were like, oh, I was surprised the PS4 didn't have an SSD. I, I mean, if you were to ask me back then, I would have said, make the console $100 more and give it half the capacity if it means it gets a god dang SSD because we can make games run twice as efficiently if you could just make us stop, if we could just stop using hard drives. Yeah, and if the people, if we could just eliminate hard drives from the, <laughs> from the equation, yeah, games would just be better now. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, the and Microsoft and Sony are kind of forcing the hand of the PC market like they're going to have to adapt too because both of the market leaders now for gaming are uh have SSDs in their consoles. And and again, and it's just it is actually directly comparable to multi-core that happened it was like I remember it, right? The year the PS4 and Xbox 1 came out, right, with their 8-core CPUs. What I guess seven cores technically with the uh, PS4. What happens? That is when Battlefield 4 came out and there were tons of people complaining their i5 couldn't do 144 hertz anymore. And it's like, yeah, I know. Because now you need that many threads, guys. Yeah. And they're running it 
on a 1.6 gigahertz 7 core at 60 frames. So what do you think is going to be required for double that frame rate? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to need that many cores clocked higher or less cores clocked really fast, which if you had an i7, you were fine. But yeah, that was, it's happening again. Clavin writes in and he says, with direct storage and a move towards streaming between storage and GPU, do you think Steam, Epic, etc. will move to a model wherein games are installed on HDDs or perhaps SATA SSDs, but when you launch a supported game, it transfers everything to a partition of the NVMe or we have to manually manage everything? I think that's going to happen. I just think Steam or... I do. And I think RTXIO may handle it for you. I think there might be an install for RTXIO that's just like 200 gigabytes on a fast SSD, and then it can just manage things for you. I think there's going to have to be some handoff here, though, between Steam, the graphics card and stuff. So I don't know how it's going to work. But to, I, the way I would answer it is I think it's common sense for that to be how it works eventually. I think that, I mean, I think that could kind of be an interim system, but it's, in my opinion, it's like NVMe is becoming cheap enough where I don't know if is that necessary. That's a good point. You know what? That's a good point. It, it might. Yeah, it, it, that's true. Where you could make the argument that, and I mean, even just, and this is a problem too. Like you could say to SSDs, they're five, they're like, let's say half a gigabyte per second. So if you're transferring a 100 gigabyte game, that's still, you still just sit there now, like yeah, five minutes. And, and I, I guess you say an SSD, uh, uh, say to SSD as well as a possible solution, but it's like, also, I mean, then a hard drive would take 10 minutes. Yeah, it's also if you're taking into account internet speeds, it's going, if you just have a one, I don't know, a 512 gigabyte SSD in your system, uh, it might be faster to just quickly swap by downloading stuff in the near future than it is sometimes between for me. hard drive and an uh, NVMe drive. No, I've definitely had situations recently where that was true on some of my computers. Um, like I, I back up and archive like videos and re- and stuff I do just so I can go back and reference things if I need to in the original copies or pull something I found before. And I barely, I was going to just get like a four terabyte SSD, but I barely, barely came to technically the hard drive that was two terabytes was cheaper than like a two terabyte SSD by a big amount. And so I got it and I regret it. You know, when I have to back up my PC, it takes like five hours to back up multiple terabytes. It's ridiculous. And I wish I would have just gotten an SSD that I can just plug into the USB 3 port and just have it done. And, you know, in like 20 minutes or something. It's it's so dumb. (laughs) You know, I, I just think, guys, hard drives are just kind of on the way out. I think even for archival purposes, that's only going to last so long. Yeah. Like SSDs are getting cheaper than hard drives in many ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they pretty much are cheaper than hard drives, or at least I haven't checked hard drive prices for a while, I guess. But you can just you can get SSDs for dirt cheap now, especially if you're like looking at SATA drives. That's just there's no real excuse to getting a hard for getting a hard drive at this point. Jory writes in and says the Nintendo Switch is aging. There's no way around that. But where can Nintendo go with it at the moment? The Tegra is based on Maxwell, which again, guys, I've covered this before briefly like they could have gone with pascal but they were unwilling to pay an extra 10 bucks to papa jensen for it says so is there any future with the tegra 214 refresh on tsmc 16 nanometer because yeah maxwell's 28 (laughs) there were also talks of a custom volta chip for the switch because nintendo now understands the market for their consoles maybe so do you think a move to that would be preferable would there be issues with backwards compatibility on volta where would you ballpark the performance on such a node 
So a 12 nanometer Volta. Eh. Are there any key areas you'd expect the specs to differ from Titan V? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think what they're likely to go with is an 8 nanometer Tegra that has Ampere and an 8-core. And I think that'll be strong enough where it'll easily emulate or di- directly run the last gen they have. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll emulate it. Like th- I'm sorry, like, in, like if they make, again, just the equivalent of whatever an MX-550 is with an ARM 8-core, that will be a lot stronger than what they have, which is like, I don't even know, like a Maxwell version of a GT 720 or 730, somewhere around there. Yeah, like that's I, what we're I talking about. 750 Ti was Maxwell, you know? And I believe there was like a 740 that was Maxwell. So I believe they have like half a 740. Or, I don't know. Like, I don't remember. Yeah. I think I remember reading it was like a 940... 920 mx or something like i don't remember you know and and is 28 nanometer minimum maxwell performance i i think no they just and i've again i've long said this they shouldn't launch a new console this year they should launch it 2021 and the rumor is it will be 2021 because 2021 is when they'll be able to get an ampere arm refresh or even just an rdna3 Zen 3 APU that is smaller than you'd think and cheaper to make probably than you'd suspect, by the way. And they'll just use that and they'll sell and then then they can make something, you know, maybe they give it eight gigabytes of RAM, something like a little weaker than an Xbox Series S. But if it has an SSD in there, and it almost certainly will, they can make something that runs most AAA games better than even the current Switch can which can't run really any anymore. So, Well, yeah, and if they could get something close to as strong as a Series S or even half as strong as a Series S, I think they would at least be able to compete. They would, they would be able to run most AAA games that would be ran on the PS5, which that's, that's a huge problem for the Switch is the Switch isn't going to run shit that the PS5 or Series S can. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, Series X, Series S, like it's just straight up not going to. Yeah. Um, like not even close. Yeah, and I know they built this really insular market where they kind of have their. It's almost its own separate atmosphere, but without any crossover, I feel like they're losing a lot of potential buyers. Well, and you know, it's funny. A new Paper Mario kinda came out. It's still not exactly what I want, but it got decent reviews, and I was like, you know, maybe I'll get a Switch for Paper Mario. I love Paper Mario, at least the first two, the real ones, and. You know, when I was looking at it before the reviews came out, they were still selling this thing for 300 That's the equivalent of like a $50 Chinese smartphone in performance. Like, I'm like, yeah. I'm not paying. It's a 720p screen. It's not all about graphics, guys, but I'm not paying $300 for this $50 fucking thing. Like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm sorry, Nintendo. I'm not doing it, you know? Um, and so at the end of the day, I just... And, you know, I also looked at, like, the handheld-only version because I think that would be something I'd be interested in for traveling. And it turns out it's not really smaller than the normal version, by the way. No, it's not. That beca- you just can't it, take off the uh, Joy-Con. Sides. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when the other one's fully assembled, it's technically slightly smaller. But I'm like, well, either I can put this in a pocket or not. Yeah. The Vita was barely big enough to fit in the back pocket or something. So if it gets to the point where it can't fit in my pocket, and it, and it like, it's not even close to being able to, then I would say, okay, so why not just carry a laptop with me and put a user controller? 
I mean, I agree. And I, I've had... Let's get a Tiger Lake. They make Tiger Lake... They'll make a Tiger Lake portable gaming device that fits in my pocket easier than the Switch does. And it's so much more powerful and runs all my games from PC. Yeah, and like I've had friends who've asked, like, would you get a Switch? And it's like, I if I can get it for $150, maybe then. But it's... Yeah. It's, it's very overpriced, in my opinion, already. And, and I know there is going to be some people that it's like, it's about the games. I'm like, it is about the games, but... I have a lot of games on my my existing console and yeah. certainly on PC. And so it has to be a little bit about the specs. And the specs are so bad that no. <laughs> no. Tire, uh, let's see here. Anyway. All right. Story number 10. Nintendo Switch Joy-Cons get over-the-air charging with PowerCast. Quoting from Tom's Hardware, say goodbye to docking your Joy-Cons to recharge them. The PowerCast's latest wireless charger makes it possible to refill your Joy-Con controller batteries without a physical connection using their wireless charging grip. Now, I'm not going to keep reading this, but I just added this not because I'm going to get this, but I think it's fascinating. We have a controller that's charging wirelessly from the stand. And I think stuff like this is the future of energy where we may walk into air. And I know this is crazy futurism, but we walk into an airport, our, char- our phones are charging when we walk in the door. Well, and if you can like transmit uh, the energy at a different enough like frequency, then uh, signals are being broadcasted over. Yeah, that's it wouldn't interfere with every anything and that would be dope as hell. <laughs> and I mean, I could see in the next 10 years, even at least getting to a space where you can put a charging obelisk, let's say on a table and anything within 20 feet charges slower. And if you put it right next to it, it charges fast. Yeah. I'm curious what like the range on the Joy-Con thing. So what I'm looking for too, to see how close we are to this dark mirror episode. Black mirror. Oh, sorry. Black mirror. It looks like it's got to be about within a foot. Okay. So not super. But yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. It's still interesting though. It's not a pad. It's literally wirelessly charging if it's close. Yeah, I mean, and that was the next step past those pads. And yeah, I think this is, I, I think you, you're you absolutely right that this could be the future. And that's how the Satanists are going to get us, Tom, with our power obelisks. That's right. It's when the lizard people come for us and control us from their pizza parlors. Tyra writes in and says, hi, Tom, I got a conspiracy theory question for you. Oh, perfect timing. But it's something I wondered for a while now. Do you believe there is any possibility NVIDIA screws up their own drivers for past generations on purpose to promote people buying new cards? I say this because many games that I pick up to play again after months or even years, I notice worse performance than I remembered. And the only thing I changed in my system was driver updates. Tested it myself. Going back to older drivers actually increases performance. One special case was Assassin's Creed Odyssey with new drivers. I was getting low performance because I was sitting at around 50% GPU usage. And after older drivers reinstalled, 90% GPU usage. I got a massive boost in FPS. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. You know, people call me an NVIDIA hater, but I don't think they do this. I think it's mistakes that they're not testing older cards as often anymore when they put new drivers out. And if they were doing some tri- like planned obsolescence scheme, why would it be older games? I think your theory that maybe they're just screwing stuff up with older games with their new drivers because they're not focused on them anymore sounds more realistic than in intentionally messing with them. I mean, I haven't tried it with AMD drivers. Maybe that's the case with AMD drivers as well. Well, yeah, and let me say this too, guys. Uh, I just 
well, not just, I guess it was a few months ago at this point, their review of the GTX 583 gigabyte. And it they added DirectX 12 support to it. And this is a 10-year-old card. That's pretty nuts mm-hmm. that that thing can run the newest games, even if some of them not as well. Although it actually was able to run um, the Division 2 in full 1080p at low settings, which would have been ultra at the time of the 580 for <laughs> sure. Um, and it was about 50 frames a second. You know, it was hitting 60 in some areas. So, no, I mean, I, they, I don't think they would do stuff like that and then also nerf these cards. You know, I just think some architectures are more likely to have issues. I don't know which card you use, Tyra, if it's Kepler. It doesn't surprise me. I've heard Kepler was overly complicated to utilize. That, frankly, just wasn't a very good architecture. <laughs> um, but that, you know, they're still supporting Fermi, kind of. I mean, they've got legacy drivers that work. And I just think it comes down to incompetence is too strong a word. But they're focusing on the newest stuff. And I don't think it's... I don't think it's intentional. I don't think this is an Apple situation. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, yeah, I don't want to call it incompetence. It's just you, you focus on what matters and it's the new games that matter. All right. Ike's writes in and he says, is a 120 compute unit Big Navi feasible? Pro-? And it, it's a very short question. A 120 compute unit Navi. Yes, but it's unnecessary. Right. Mm-hmm. It's better to have 80 compute units at 2.2 gigahertz than 120, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what Arcturus is, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it 128? Well, it doesn't matter. It's, I think it's 128. But, it, but it's an unnecessarily bit high number of CUs that they have to clock way lower. The fewer mm-hmm. CUs clocked higher is better for gaming. So 80 is Typically, better. all things considered, yeah. if you can equal the same teraflops. And it's also a smaller die. So that means you can make more of them cost less. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's feasible. And this is another funny thing I'm seeing people say. Again, bringing it full circle to the whole SMCU thing with Ampere. Think of it this way, guys. Oh, now there's 10,700 CUDA cores in the 3090 or or whatever it has. I I think it's 10,500 around there. Um, Doesn't that mean AMD now needs double the CUs? No. No. (laughs) They have 84 SMs, guys. 84. They had 72 with Turing. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean, right? Not that much. That still means 80 compute unit Navi, assuming it has the performance, it sounds like it has, can compete with an 84 compute unit, or at least a cut down one, a 72 SM RTX 3080 just fine. It's on a superior node too. It does. They have less cores clocked much faster with higher utilization, NVIDIA's going for almost a, their own version of Vega, frankly. Well, yeah, and it's not like we haven't seen this before. I mean, Fermi had way fewer cores than the 7000 series. Like, Yeah. It, that's, that, that's happened before. And there's, just, happen there's multiple ways to skin a cat. So yeah. I, I, think, I think it's feasible. I could see RDNA 3 going to 120 compute units, I guess. Yeah. But I just think right now, it's not necessary. Sagan Chicken Man writes him, and he says, there was discussion of low-cost HBM all the way back in 2016. Hot Chips presentation slides, Street Town articles about it. And uh, one of the slides has a picture of HBM3 and talks about how they're moving towards cheaper memory and more versatile HBM from Samsung, Micron, and Hynix. However, they seem to have no incentive to lower prices. How long do you think before it drops in price to where it's feasible for mid-range. I think people have asked me this before. 
it is cheaper than it used to be. It is. You know, the Fury X was like $150 for four gigabytes. Radeon 7, I heard $360 for 16. So that's almost half the price there. I believe we're to almost half the price by now with HBM2E. Which guys, HBM2E, one of the big things, it's cheaper to make than HBM2. So I think we're almost there. And again, it's like, what do you call mid-range? I thought the 5700 XT was mid-range. That was $400. Yeah. <laughs> you know what also was $400? Vega 56 and then an HBM. So I'd say we're almost there. Um, I mean, but yeah, the other problem is that the mid-range, like how you're talking, the mid-range has also moved up in price. So exactly. Converge. So I think when, um, I still think most of RDNA 2 is going to be GDR6. But I could see RDNA 3 finally bring us mid-range, truly mid-range HBM cards to answer your question. Yeah. And actually, to piggyback on that, Carbon Cry writes in and says, in the August loose ends, around the 58-minute mark, you spoke earnestly about how it's inconceivable to return to even a 48-gigabyte. I don't believe I said inconceivable. I'm pretty sure I said it would feel... And also, I'm pretty sure I was talking about a 24-gigabyte 3090, by the way. (laughs) A little embellishment going on here, Carbon Cry. But Carbon Cry says, it would be hard for you to go... I'll just paraphrase. I'll say what I actually said. How about that, Carbon Cry? That it would feel weird if I went back to like a 24-gigabyte GDR6 card or certainly a 10-gigabyte one when I have 16 gigabytes of HBM on my card now. At the end of the day, only you know performance matters is what I said, but it still would feel weird to lose HBM after technically going from a Fury to a Vega to an HBM. I almost got a, a Titan Volta once for mining when things were nuts. So I don't know. It's been hard for me to consider any card that doesn't have HBM just for stupid reasons. But then he says, and you. but anyways, you ended your profession of faith by saying, maybe that's just me being stupid. Tom, it doesn't mean that. You are a vegan, a worshiper of Vega. We're happy you finally came out of the closet. And then there it says here, chanting, one of us, <laughs> one of us. I mean, there's a, seri- there's a grain of truth to this, though, Dan. Would it not feel a little odd to go from an 8-gigabyte HBM card to an 8-gigabyte, for instance, 3070 for you? Uh, yeah, that, that was actually, I don't think I said that. That was part of what d- disappointed me the most with this is I, I wasn't super impressed by the amount of RAM on any of the cards uh, for Ampere. Well, for the 3080 and 3070. I wish they had a little, I wish they had 10 and 12 gigs of RAM or something. And yeah, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy with moving to another eight gigabyte card at all, especially going from an eight gigabyte card to of HBM to GDR6. It's just like, there's no way around it. So when you look at Ampere, 10 gigabytes is kind of barely enough for the 3080, but this thing is like, so like we're debating if it's 25 or 40% stronger than a 2080 Ti. And yet it has eight, a, a 10 gigabytes. Like that's, yeah, you almost, I, I really wonder if they should have just made it 800 and given it 20 gigabytes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's weird because the 2080 Ti has 11, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird that that... And so then the 3070 is even worse because now the 3070 is probably probably like 5% better than the 2080 Ti. But, you know, it only has 8 gigabytes. That's a problem. Yeah, and I, that will be an issue if you want to keep... I think that might be an issue if you want to keep that card for more than a, a couple years. Um, Again, 
memories of Fermi. Yeah. You know, not enough RAM in some models. uh, Tom's hardware forums, people saying, you don't need more than a gig of RAM. Yeah, you're going to need more than eight gigabytes (laughs) for something that powerful. So it's like, um, I think the 3070, if I guess I'll say, yeah, the 3070 is maybe good for someone with like a GTX 970 who's slumming it in 1440p. Sure. Get a 3070. You're going to notice some pretty nice graphics. Um, but if you're in 4K, it's like, I think you just kind of have to get the 3080 if, or, or wait for the 3080 20 gigabyte. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. And for me personally, it's not that I think the 3070 is going to be a bad card at all. I think it looks really good, but I just don't know if it's for me. I think I would rather, I think, especially with some of the purchases I want to make, I'd rather wait a year and get a uh, Hopper slash RDNA uh, 3. Or a far cheaper Ampere, like 20 gigabyte, 3080 or something. Yeah, whenever that comes out. Okay, Dan, we have one more thing to do. We got through the stories. We got through the reader mails. But I have here an actual reader mail to open (laughs) from the P.O. Box, which I do have a P.O. Box. It is in, now look at that. It says Moore's Law is dead on it. You can the you can see it in the description of the videos. You can see it in the website about section. Let's see what we got here. Just some fun opening box noises, so you guys know listening to this that I'm actually opening a box. Oh my god, Dan, what do you think it is? It's beer. Oh, it's beer. I like beer. which one? Kavanaugh. What uh? What beer do you think it is? Uh, I don't know. I'll hold it up to the camera. Ah, nice. Final, Final absolution. absolution. I can only get it from one bar in Warren, Michigan. It is by far my favorite beer. And he just gave me, ah, oh, he gave me an eight pack. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it was dead fishy. The guy who was talking in the beginning of that you did not kill one of his fish. Ah, man, thank you. I mean, this is my favorite beer. We'll have to definitely. I mean, well, I mean, no, the real reader mail bet should have been who wants to bet money on if all these will be drank before the next loose ends. <laughs> this is what a problem. Next loose ends. I mean, there, there's a chance. There's a chance they might. There might be one left. No, that you should try to save at least one. I agree. I agree. Maybe I'll save one for you, Dan, when you're here for Thanksgiving. Maybe. They last that long. All right. Well, that's all of it. Is there anything? I mean, it's another long episode. We've talked about this, how we may do more episodes that are shorter in the future and skip guests when we need to and blah, blah, blah. But that's it's just it is what it is. Another extra long episode coming out of daylight because that's how the news worked out. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. There will be much more coverage soon. Dan, do you have anything else to say? No, I think I, I think I've talked enough. So me too. And I mean, I just did that one and a half hour ampere analysis and the other, I'm like dying. (laughs) My voice is dead. So the last thing I will say is I've just a little bit more voice to shill myself. And that is to say, you know, remember we're fan supported on Patreon. You will get this podcast early and ad free if you support us. And uh, it's the patrons making that stable income, making this all possible to pay, you know, Dan, Gerard, other other people, you know, and uh, you'll get that 
You'll get the die shrinks in reader mail as well. So, and for all the people on the free feeds, thank you for listening as well. Please share our stuff. And uh, we obviously still interact with you all and appreciate you as much as we can. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn Jim Bollocks, Joshua Albin, Muhammad Alquari, Frederick Lau, James Crasted, Justin Farish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TC, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Batboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, DK Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Trita Full, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, George Danforth, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Sayonara, Elenia, Joshua Stavnitz, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carasillo, Dark Rain, 2049, Leighton Perry, Mac, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, MacDo226, Zabra Zaber, Zlicky, Matt Porsagi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick JS, Justin Staples, Freddie Quinones Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquim Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Luria, Call Marco, Deke, DHR, Taumach, Rahul Abeneni, Cheesy Ramen, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Maxime Bratukin, 
Ryan Danescu, Dave McCoy, Valko Milev, and Messiers. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 